Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And today on the podcast are Kuya and Dennis. They are two road cyclists based out of Austin, Texas. They race for the Night Owl racing team. And Kuya was our first place finisher at this year's East Texas Showdown, which is 380 miles. He set a fastest known time or FKT of 23 hours and 56 minutes coming right under 24 hours. And Dennis was the second person to cross the finish line, but he did not officially place due to being disqualified earlier in his race. And there's a couple interesting things going on with this particular storyline and why I wanted to bring these guys on the podcast. I mean, first of all, they uh, came into bike pack racing with pretty much very little to no knowledge about what bike pack racing was and the ethics and ethos and the spirit of the race. And Dennis and I had an encounter. He actually borrowed my seat post and uh, thereby became disqualified, but that raised some questions and um, we will get into all those questions and answer those in today's episode. So yeah, I mean, so the storylines here are we got a couple uh, guys from much different backgrounds coming in as road cyclists doing something very differently and doing it very, very well. These guys are supremely fast and they were both pushing themselves past anything they had ever done before. They were in unknown territory. It's a fascinating story. I'm so glad that they made the choice to sign up for the showdown. Them coming was not only inspirational to watch, but it was illuminating to me as a new race director on ways that I can improve and make sure that the rules and the spirit of the race and all these things are conveyed better to all people that are coming into bikepacking. And as we grow as a community, we're going to have new people coming all the time, which is great. So yeah, this was a great learning opportunity. Uh, most of all, I just really enjoyed these guys a lot. They have a great energy about them and I enjoyed this chat and I hope you do too. But before we get to today's episode, let's take a moment to thank the people that made it possible, starting with our newest patrons. Our newest patrons this week are Todd Crafter and Thomas Sumter. Good. Thank you all very much for signing up. If you would like to support these episodes, you can find out how over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Any and all help is always appreciated, and we try to make it worth your while with discounts and bonus content. And I also started to um, release merch first to patrons. So if it's something that's a hot item, y'all can get first dibs on it and it doesn't get gobbled up by, uh, by everyone. So first dibs on merch, all kinds of great things. But most importantly, you get to support your favorite podcast and we thank you. All right. Well, today's episode is also brought to us by Everybody Rides with Grace. This isn't so much of an ad as it is a community spotlight. If you listen to the Shell Money episode, I believe it was like 98 or 97, it was a little ways back. Um, at the beginning of that episode, I had a little, about a one minute interview with Grace, who is a 14 year old disabled young lady. 
and she has a mission to get more disabled people on adaptive bikes slash trikes. And they have developed a really neat program called Everybody Rides with Grace. And this weekend in Las Cruces, New Mexico, this is going on Saturday, June 4th. They are getting together there at the Hub Community Bike Shop. They're going to start decorating bikes at around 8.30 a.m. And there will be a parade that begins at 9 a.m. And uh, there's a lot more information, a lot more going on, and a lot more information about what the Everybody Rides with Grace program is trying to do. I'm going to make that information available in my show notes and on the website. So if you're in that area, please make it a priority to go support this very great cause. I'm sad that I'm missing it. Grace is a wonderful person and I appreciate what her, her mom and her family are doing. And uh, we need to show them support because all people on bikes, all of them. So uh, go support Grace and the Everybody Rides with Grace program this Saturday, June 4th at the Hub Community Bike Shop in Las Cruces, New Mexico. All right, well, today's episode is also brought to us by my friends over at Kuat Racks. And today, Kuat wants me to remind you about their Future Forest Initiative program. To date, they have planted close to 600,000 trees. It's 592,875 to be exact. If you go to their website, they have a lot of great information about the program and why saving our forests are so important as outdoors people. Uh, we're often exposed to the wildfires and it's very much in our periphery. We know about it, we're aware about it. And so we know how important it is that we are restoring those forests, not only for us, but for future generations to be able to enjoy our outdoor spaces as well. So again, you can head over to kuat.com, that's K-U-A-T.com, and learn more about that program and see how they don't only make a great rack, but they also like to give back, which I think is great. And as outdoors people, it's great to support companies that are doing good and giving back. So thank you to Kuat. And without further ado, let's get to my episode with Kuya and Dennis, our first and second place finishers of the East Texas Showdown. Yes, Dennis has an asterisk next to his name, but you know what? Um, he still did the damn thing, and we're going to talk all about it. So let's have Miles Arbor take it away with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your boss, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think... Oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. All right, Dennis, what's your name? And yeah, where are you from? And what do you do? What do y'all do? Yeah, what do you do? Uh, well, I was born in Moscow. And but now we like to joke on 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 uh, on our chat that I'm from Ukraine, you know, like so. Because that's that's a big big subject, but you know that's for that's for another topic. But yes, I was born in Moscow, and uh, left uh, left Russia to Israel when I was eight, um, with my parents obviously, and then uh, came here with my parents when I was uh, I think seventeen or eighteen, 
came to Houston and uh, that was a big shock, you know, from, from like a, you know, either Moscow or, or, or uh, Israel, it's more of a European lifestyle. People walk around and I came to Houston, definitely had a, had a shock. I didn't see too many people outside. It was definitely uh, middle of a summer, really hot. And uh, I was, um, I was doing my uh, exams, trying, trying to find a job. And I, and I was like, well, look at Austin. This looks, this place looks awesome. I have to, I have to move to Austin. So I tried to find a job in Austin and it was right um, before the dot-com bubble burst. I found a job, got, got, uh, got in before everything went to complete uh, mayhem. And uh, yeah, never looked back, stayed here. Went, uh, went to UT, uh, studying computer science. When did you, at what age did you come to Austin? I was uh, 17 or 18. Wow. Yeah. So your parents gave you a lot of independence or you gave yourself a lot of independence? I think I was, I was, uh, I was like, I'm, I was ready to, to fly out of the nest. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was like, I, I need to get out. And, and was programming your, your path forward with that? Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely, that was definitely, um, you know, the dot-com bubble was happening back then and everything was, was blowing up. So that was, that was the good wave to get on. Yeah. And, you know, definitely. As long as you didn't buy, the, spend all your money on Ferraris in the first few years before actually, it crashed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, well, I didn't have that much money, but I, def I definitely did buy like a really nice sports car, <laughs> uh, you know, got a few speeding tickets. That was definitely, uh, I mean, when you're 18, that, what do you, what else are you going to get? Like, you don't know any better. Um, yeah, I would have bought got myself a bike. That was, that was my first road bike. So like I got myself a car, bought myself a road bike. Uh, over here in Austin, the bicycle sports shop, it was like a Trek 1000 and, uh, yeah. Why did you, uh, why'd you buy a bike? Was it, did you see a lot of people like riding around in Austin? You wanted to get in on that or? Why did I get a bike? I mean, I didn't know anyone it, that well yet. I didn't, I didn't go to school yet. And I was like, well, there's, and I loved, I loved cycling back in Israel. I was actually playing basketball. But over here, I didn't really know anyone and I loved riding. I had a mountain bike in Israel. So I was like, I need to get a bike and it's, 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 it's great place to ride a bike. And I was like, well, let's get a bike and go ride it. And I, I did that. And then once I got to school, uh, the bike kind of was more of a secondary thing because it was more, more partying and other, other things, you know, you get to meet <laughs> people and it was definitely more, more fun, more fun things to do. But for a while there, I was just working. Before I even get to school, I was working full time and, you know, I had a bike, you know, and, and my apartment and, and that was it. But once, once you get to school, that's, that's, that's where the fun was. <laughs> fun, quote unquote. Yeah. Oh, well, we all, I never, I never went to school, man. I went to, uh, I went to the streets and I had my fun. Well, I mean, I lived, uh. I actually got, got lucky because a lot of people go through school uh, living in apartments and I got to experience the whole co-op culture. And there's a lot of people uh, in that ride bikes in a co-op. And uh, there was another another place that, uh, you know, you get to experience in the second culture. And we had, uh, I moved from small co-ops to larger co-ops. We had, uh, and I lived in a German house. It's about 20 people and everyone kind of works. So some people, uh, you know, do the dishes, some people... Uh, take out, uh, you know, the trash and uh, some people do maintenance and same thing with the bigger co-ops, you know, Pearl Street, we had 120 people there, same thing. Some people cooked and, and the kitchen was, you know, commercial kitchen. 
we had inspectors come in. I mean, I have all kinds of stories from that place, wow. you know, like so. So that's where you lived instead of like a dorm or whatever, you lived in a co-op? Which yeah, is a definitely. Pl- the whole the whole experience was living through co-ops and, and it was great. First, it's definitely cheaper than uh, living anywhere else, If you, especially if you get to be an officer. I was the computer room manager officer, mm-hmm. uh, got half off. So just think about it. I lived uh, half off meant that I had a room with food for $300 a month. That's, that's yeah, insane. Yeah, in Austin. In Austin. That was, yeah. That's insane. I mean, I'm sure now it's more expensive, but right. back in 2003, that was that was still really, really good. Yeah. 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 I never even heard of a co-op before. I didn't even know those existed. Yeah. Yeah, some cities more than others, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know if in my small city there is one, but I guess in bigger cities where cost of living is so high, it makes a lot of sense. It's like hostels almost for travelers, except for y'all are not, y'all aren't really traveling. You just want to be here for a while, but you're willing to shack up with a a big, you know, room with a lot of people. It is kind of like hostel because a lot of, a lot of international students, when they would come to Austin, they wouldn't necessarily get an apartment. They would, they would look for a place to stay. And a lot of people recommended this co-op. So we'd have maybe 20 to 30% of the people that stayed in the co-ops were international students, exchange students. So they would stay anywhere from six months to a year. And, you know, it's kind of like a hostel, but for a long term. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it and sounds it was, like. It was, it, it was definitely really fun. You know, you get to meet a lot of people, you get exposure to a lot of cultures. The sad part, they would leave, but then you get to still make, you know, lifelong friends and every now and then. You know, I still have, you know, my friend Lars, we're still you know, really good friends to this day. And, you know, we go on vacations together and things like that. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. All right, Kuya. All right. Sure. Uh, so my name is Kuya Takami. Uh, so I'm from Japan. So people call it Takami Kuya back in uh, Japan. But <laughs> That's your nickname? Uh, no, I mean, like the, my last name goes first and then first name goes last oh, in Japan. So it's, does it really? Yeah. Wait, and what? I don't have a middle name because it's also like in, in Japanese. Name so in Japan, you, you say the name backwards? Yeah. I'm Takami. I mean, no, Kuga? English, you say the name well, yeah, backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah. Well, we do a lot of things backwards uh, yeah. here, man. Yeah. <laughs> you figured that out, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm similar story. So I came to United States when I was 17 through like exchange program. I actually ended up in Wisconsin. Uh, oh, man. Initially, I was planning to stay for one year exchange program, but I had amazing like host family and uh, we connected and I had opportunity to kind of pursue like academic career afterwards. So how old were you when you did that exchange? Uh, I was 17 Okay, and I stayed for one year and then decided to go to college in the States after that. And that became like never ending like grad school and actually got PhD in mechanical engineering in robotics. Oh, wow. And Oh, shit. So I do coding and hardware stuff like Dennis <laughs> as well. But uh, yeah, then I got a job. I was working in DC before coming to Texas. But yeah, Texas was also another coming out of academia to actually work for private sector. So I moved to Austin about I guess four or five years ago now. Okay. Um, but I grew up in a town called Toyota, like the car company. Yeah. And we actually make cars there. And probably 99% of people works for Toyota indirectly or directly. 
but your your hometown in Japan. Yeah. Oh wow. And you, it's like so you're from Toyota, Japan. Right. Oh yeah. gosh. I, I was made into <laughs> I was made into Toyota built. Yeah. yeah, what's, yeah. what's funny, he's not driving a Toyota, he's driving a Subaru. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So that's is yeah. that your Forester outside? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just bought a Forester. Oh, that's great. Man, I was because I, I don't know if yo, you saw my big old van. That's mm-hmm. not good for gas. Yeah. Uh but after the I had to I had a forerunner that went away during my divorce. Um, but so I just got a new like family car and I'm getting 24 miles to the gallon and I'm just like, oh, this is so nice. So I went from spacious. 12 to 24, yeah. 12 to 24 miles and gas is insane right now. So you work with robots? Uh, no, right now, like I do consulting for like companies in like scientific domain. Okay. Uh, so I teach people how to program normally engineer or scientist and also, uh, consult on like how they can adapt new technologies to their environment or culture in the companies. So why are, and don't take this as a, a diss, but educate me, like why are you in a position to be consulting with all these other companies? You look relatively uh, young. So like our company is kind of specialized in that domain. So you work for a company, company yeah, that does consulting. Does yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So. Yeah. We're like Austin based about like 80 to 100 people, pretty small company, but specialized in like scientific corporate, I guess, uh, to support there. So does that explain why you've been flying all over the United States and it's taken uh, us six weeks to get an interview? <laughs> <laughs> it was more of like bike races. But, was it, but that's but a better also, Yeah, but like last month I was back in Japan for a job and I was there for like about three weeks. Nice. Very cool. All right. Well, let's talk bikes now that we know who the hell we're talking to. Cool. Uh, <laughs> let's. I, I'd like to get both of your just cycling history. So you yeah. picked up a bike, Dennis, when you were about eighteen or so, and yeah. Uh, so what was that transition uh, for you into now? You guys are on a fucking team, and you're right. serious, and you're fast, and you got expensive bikes. Like that helps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that helps. Yeah. Well. Like I said, you know, the first I got, I got my, my bike, Trek 1000 and I got, it got into the co-ops and, and, you know, cycling definitely took, uh, you know, like a, a backseat when, when I went to school and because you know, it was a lot of, once you, I mean, I, I worked full time before and kind of rode my bike. And once you get to experience, uh, you know, the fun of, uh, you know, get, get, a get some uh, social, social exposure. It was definitely, uh, cycling was definitely not my priority. So, you know, we partied in, in co-ops and, and whatever, whatever we did there. And, uh, yeah. And I, I, I got interested in, I was always interested in, in cycling, but it was, uh, it was always kind of like a secondary thing until I started, I got out of the co-op, you know, I got a house and, uh, and I was, uh, I started, uh, um, I started my own company and I realized that, you know, I need to, I need to start doing something cause like I can't just sit in front of a computer like 17 hours a day. Yes. And I was like, well, there's a bike right there. Let's go ride it. And I uh, started riding the bike again, got into, uh, triathlons. Uh, I think a lot of people, when they get into cycling, they kind of go through, like they get to experience, you know, running, triathlon, swimming, all that. And then eventually... I feel like a lot of people end up in cycling because it's the most social sport. 
compared to like running or swimming where it's a lot, it's more individual. And like when you run, you cannot run together. Like there's no drafting. Same thing with swimming. Uh, I mean, you can, you can draft in swimming, but it's very individual. You know, you go, you train in lanes and it's hard to talk. It's hard to talk. And, you know, and, and a lot of people get into triathlons because it's really easy to get. You just sign up for it. You have a goal, boom, go for it. So I signed up for like, my first triathlon was, uh, I think a sprint and then Olympic, then you get to half Ironman. And then I finally did like a full Ironman in, in France. And after that, like you did the full Ironman is like, well, you kind of have to decide if you're going to keep doing those, those triathlons or you want to, you know, choose just one of the sports that you like more. And I was like, well, I like cycling more. So I started going on group rides and I think having group, I mean, Austin community is really great in that regard that it's really easy to get into cycling here because you have a lot of group rides. I don't know how is it in other cities, but in Austin, you pretty much can get into a group ride any day of the week. And, uh, and I started going to Melo Johnny's, group rides and uh it kind of like snowballed from there um uh, there every every sunday uh and and saturday there were uh there was the 100k on saturday that was the fast group ride and i wasn't i wasn't fast enough for that ride yet there was a middle of the road ride so i got on that eventually you know i started coming every week um got fast enough for the 100k and uh started uh started to see oh there's actually like teams in this thing you know the people race and so i was like okay let's let's go and let's go and try that and sign up for my uh, first cat five race and and i won it i was like and then i was hooked i was like all right <laughs> this is great i'm gonna keep doing it how far was that it was a stage race was it a one day no race? it was a one day race i think it was the megan bab i don't know much about road racing yeah. i don't think y'all came into bikepacking exactly with a yeah, lot exactly. so we might be able to learn some stuff yeah, exactly so so there's definitely there's definitely some learning once we switched to talk, talking about backpacking there's definitely a transition there that i had to like you know switch but uh yeah i did, I did that race and I got on a team called Violet Crown. Everyone can get on it. It's it's like a club, and uh, eventually um, they gave me the role to manage the the racing of of the of Violet Crown. So I was the kind of like the race team manager, and from that, you know, I started I started you know collecting guys, you know, who's fast, you know, try to because there were there were teams that were always fast, you know, and then you you cannot get on those teams unless you get invited. So I kind of started from the bottom, started collecting guys that we can race with. And eventually, at some point in 2017, I was like, well, I think we, we kind of like outgrew the, the, the structure of Violet Crown as a club. Let's, let's start our own team. So we started Night Owl Racing with three guys. And eventually, you know. So who are the first three? Uh, me, Freedom, which is, which is uh, for us, you know, Freedom, it's, it's it, you know, it's Jose Rivera, but we, everyone calls him Freedom. And then Alan. Alan Gua, that was the first three. And then we collected people real quick, you know, cause we are, you know, we were pretty fast. Uh, we won a, we won a bunch of races that, that, uh, that spring. So what time frame? how long ago did you start Night Owl? 2017 in the, in the spring. So pretty and, recent. And, and yes, and we started as like a cat three, four team. And at that point I was still a cat three and I think I won, uh, three or four road races as a cat three in a row and definitely got kicked out of cat threes. <laughs> uh, uh, 
and and but that that helped i think uh, to to recruit other guys because i think you know other guys want to be with 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 also with faster guys so yeah. definitely that helped that exposure and uh we got mark and jake and and uh we got you know a lot of people quickly i think andy and uh yeah and we grew today i think we're over over 20 people wow yeah so with the team like these team road races that you're doing are you is it just like it would be a, like Tour de France, but at a smaller scale? So you're getting sponsorship for the team, and you know, are there some benefits for team members? Or exactly, this, yeah, this, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, I mean, the first thing, uh, uh, the first benefit of a team, I think, for everyone is motivation because why cycling is 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 great. I think compared to like running and and, and swimming is. Running and swimming is more individual, so it's hard to get motivated unless you you're really like a type A person and you're training for events. With cycling, part of the team, you know, you see you see Kuya doing really well, you see like Mark, you see Jake doing well, you see other people doing really well, and you you know you want to do well too. You know, you don't want to you know send back when you're riding with him. So there's everyone's kind of pushing each other in the team. You're wearing that shirt, man. You want it to mean something. You want like, like if Kyle Gilbert goes to doom and he does well, you're like, right. fuck yeah. Now I want to do exactly. well whenever I exactly. have Exactly. Yeah. You don't want to, yeah, exactly. You don't want to let down the team kind of, and in yeah. some respect, I, it feels like. Yeah. It's I bet it's the same experience in the army. I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, you're part of a team and you want to do well. You don't want to be like the weak link or mm -hmm. you know something like that. So there's definitely, you know, the aspect of uh, people pushing each other, and, and even uh, we can talk about our team camps. That's that's a whole okay. <laughs> different. Uh, Kuya knows all about that, uh, but um, yeah. So there's so that, that aspect of a team. You know, you kind of you know, it's a it's a group that motivates each other. Then there's the financial aspect. Obviously, you get race reimbursement. You know, as we as we do well, we try to. Um, we can talk about it. You know, there's there's so many so many topics that I can get into, but to kind of make it short yes there's 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 a budget in the team people get race reimbursement people get you know either free kits or you know discounted kits and uh you know we, we pay for uh lodging when we go to big races you know we pay for airbnbs food when we go to team camps and things like that and you know we get money from sponsors we have you know instagram followers and the goal of the team i, I think it's it used to be that it's all about you know podiums, but I think nowadays it's all about content and stories, and and uh, I feel like if you can tell uh, a good story, that's probably more important. Well, that answers the question of why you're into video. You're trying you 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 want. I mean, you're building the brand. You're you're telling the stories of your riders, your races, those mm -hmm. experiences, and you're sharing them. And you're right. That is how. I mean, through podcasting, I've yeah. learned people love stories. They yeah, want to get to know stories. you. They want to get to know your stories. They want to know how you went from that to racing the East Texas Showdown. You know, so like that's that's kind of the interesting thing, and that's why I want to kind of establish for our listening audience where you guys are coming from in, in your cycling experiences. Is that a pretty good summation of yours? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. What about you? Oh, I got to start biking, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, just, you know, whatever progression, you yeah. kind of overview of your so, progression in cycling. It's probably, it's interesting to start. It's, I mean, I cycled throughout my life, but it's a means of a commute, I guess, getting point A to B uh, all the time as a kid. Uh, there was a kind of int interesting story my parents told me like when I was like five or six. Uh, I'm like coming from, I have four siblings. So whenever we were getting like bikes, it was a kind of like 
okay, all the kids grew out of the bike. You can get to have this bike now. So I had all the sisters, so it was like a pink <laughs> bike. So I had to like paint it black. And then one day, I guess like my parents were gone. I was like riding a bike and I got flat. And then like when my parents came back, like I guess I fixed bike flat by myself when I was like five. Oh, wow. So it's kind of like, you know, the machine, how it works. Like that's how I became like engineer, I guess. Uh, but I mean, bike was always around. It, like, you know, you can understand like how it works and stuff. So it was always like that aspect of like interesting Part. like I I think like as a device I guess uh you can fix and you know everything right beautifully simple machine right and I mean other than that I was going to school what's on the bike and stuff uh, and but I never was like into racing until like I moved to Austin I guess like to get there it's like I would join like maybe like fun like fondo or something event like where you stop like every 20 minutes eat food and like keep riding uh I've done couple of those in DC, uh, for example, they have like all state, uh, tour mm -hmm. where you ride all the state named street, oh. uh, and they like side a ride for like Halloweens and stuff. So I was joining like those like fun rides, I guess. Uh, so I didn't get into like cycling, like after like 30, uh, I would do Austin, like, yeah, like when, yeah, Dennis started night all like spring of 2017, I moved to like 2017 fall. Uh, to Austin and it was like I want to get to know the place meet new people so I start joining like the ride first group ride actually I did was uh, I found it on like theo.com like rider group like where you can like search for like advanced intermediate like beginner okay. and I what, like, what is it called just for people that might want to look it up uh it's like, yeah, yeah, I actually, I actually started this yeah. website. Oh. So, so my company does uh, marketplaces and I was like, well, I have the software and I couldn't find any group rights. So let me start this website that catalogs all the group rights. Oh, that's brilliant. And, and, and like can anyone start, submit yeah. it from exactly, anywhere in the world? Yeah, exactly. Or? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. How do you spell it? For T-H-E-A.com. Okay. I remember I, whenever I was researching, I, it was a while ago, but I remember looking that up. Yeah. That's cool. And then I was like, you know, I'm not like super into cycling, like racing or something. So I was like, I think I'm intermediate. I'll join this ride. <laughs> so there was like one shop called like Peddler uh, and it's like 8 a.m. start or something. So I got there, found out like everybody's like pretty much retired and like a group of 20 people. <laughs> and that was, but that was great because like they were telling me all about like history of Austin and stuff. We did only like maybe like two hours, three hour ride and. Then I got like, okay, definitely this is kind of slow. <laughs> so let me like search for like advanced group ride. And that's where I found like uh, Melody Journey 100K. Uh, and I wasn't riding enough. So like when I start riding, I was only the ride I do was that ride. And I was getting dropped like pretty much every week. <laughs> or it was basically a race. Yeah. You know, you get it's 62 miles, about yeah. 3,000 feet of elevation. You go to Southeast Austin. Right. And the first couple of miles, you know, you kind of like noodle it. And then once you get on, on the, uh, I think, uh, one, of, one of the roads, yeah. you know, depending like 20, on 20, 30 minutes in, it's everybody's just going And hard. then it's just yeah. hammer drops. And then right. whoever can drop, you know, whoever. Right. And, and so that's how That's I, when y'all throw down and find out who's who. Yeah, yeah. You'll know. <laughs> but I was You'll the one who was like, yeah, pop in like from the, off the back. And uh, I'm like, okay, I have to start writing a little more. So I, it started like two days a week, three days a week, and four days a week. And then I got like, okay, I'm not getting dropped anymore. And 
that's when I think around then, like Dennis was like, I think one of those like 100K ride, he was like, hey, do you want to come ride with our like team ride on Tuesday night? And they ride at night, like Niles, right? And with like flashlight and like we just like, they just also like took me to the ride, but like I got dropped first like three or four rides <laughs> when we did together. <laughs> yeah, but then like I start racing, that's where I start actually training. Uh, doing more miles, but you can see the potential. You so, know? Did, did, I do want to hear that. But did uh, did joining the team like help motivate and elevate yourself? Did like they kind of take you under their wing, or did you just you're like, oh shit, these <laughs> are they're fast, and I need to catch up, so I'm going to put in some work. I don't think like I was like at the time that competitive, but I was like, I'm like, okay, maybe I can do better. Or it's like I think it's what motivated was like actually doing going on the ride a lot more with the team. Or I guess because uh, yeah. they do ride all the time. So like whenever you want to go, you're riding. I got you. Uh, so yeah, that was, I, I think you were going to touch on it, but the question I was going to ask you is, um, I mean, maybe one, you know, why did you find Kuya? And I don't know if you applied, but how do you select the people that, that you, you want on the see team? On the, you, you, you see uh, like our team, the criteria, uh, how, how you join, you know, we we're, <laughs> We're, we're very inclusive and it's it, it's merit-based you know we don't we're not trying to like oh he's my friend let's you know let, let you know let him join there's some of that obviously you want to be compatible you know you want to be you want to be friendly you, you know uh but majority of the time is like oh this guy has potential and usually like with, with kuya on 100k i mean you can see like from one week to another like how somebody's progressing or or just knowing the history, like, oh, this guy just started riding and he's already like smashing everyone. Or like with Mark, it was, you know, there's this guy that comes on on, on group rides in the running t-shirt mm -hmm. and he's just smashing everyone up the hill. I was like, okay, you know, you know, this guy hasn't been riding for a while. Uh, and you know, he has a lot of potential. And usually a lot of people, uh, I didn't know actually initially, but um, once people join in to tell their history, a lot of people have history of, of running or competitive uh, sports yeah. or it's just, it just happens that way. Yeah. I think yeah. you're right. I think competitive people or people that seek out adventure and hard things, I yeah. mean, they do it in all different kinds of ways and we've just all landed on, on cycling right now. At this point with your team, you're at 20 riders. It sounds like, and, and you can educate me, but it sounds like, you're kind of when you would go on group rides you're kind of recruiting and you're like exactly, looking exactly. for, for yeah. potential yeah so now at this point you have 20 riders are you still doing that or you yeah just, of course you so you, when yeah. you go group, you still go on group rides because I, I was envisioning a scenario where you're only doing night owl rides now you're only riding with a team which could which could eliminate you and prevent you from finding new talent but you're still out no there. no we're still we're still very open we had uh I mean, how many new guys we don't joined really this have year? like team right <laughs> Like, well, we go, we go, consistency. <laughs> we kind of eat everyone's plate. We go on, we go every, you know, we go on different, different group rides. We actually sponsored by Cycle East. So they have a group ride every, every Tuesday, uh, the teardown, which, which another club does, uh, Phenom. And, you know, we go on that, on that, right. You know, we go breakfast clubs, breakfast day, club. There's, yeah. there, there's a whole new ecosystem. So there could be multiple teams at one or multiple, like individuals from a team like they could have night owl and another team there at the same group ride yeah 
Yeah, do y'all well, get racy when you go. <laughs> uh, do we race on on the on the? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some of that up the hills for sure. Queer, really queer like, is definitely smashing really a lot like of people. Team competition. It's more of just individual. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, but there's definitely like a hierarchy in 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 the in Austin as far as teams. You know, so there's definitely teams that are like category one, and then there's you know lower category teams and middle category teams. And I think you need all of those for for the funnel to work. Yeah. Because you you know if people cannot just start being cat one you Absolutely. have to you have to start in a, you know develop yourself in a in a in a starter team like a club then you get to like the middle tier teams and then you get to like you know the really fast teams yeah and then from there you know the, the fast teams you know their goal is to send you know one rider a year to like a, you know like a professional team like you know in the, whether Tour de France or or uh, I mean that's that's like the, the elite level and there's many steps before before you get to Tour de France, you know, there's, I know there's a bunch of American tours. I can't remember anybody. Ever yeah. I mean, we can talk about that too. Like, I feel like the, the kind of the road scene is slowly, it's not, it's not as healthy as it used to be uh, because I think gravel is kind of eating road races. And, uh, I think bikepacking is, 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 is growing and it, it, that's, we can talk about that. I think that's, that's definitely going to explode. Well, yeah. So I actually, to tee off of what you just said, the funnel that takes you through road cycling, that is the exact reason why I created the East Texas showdown as a, an entry point for people to get into bikepack racing. You know, you could do it if you're. If you're fast, you could do it without sleeping. If it's your first one, you can sleep three times, you can sleep four times and, and get it done, but you can get that experience in your belt. And that's what I wanted to provide. It's the same thing with my, I have a, a bikepacking route in Sam Houston National Forest that's only 62 miles and it's an overnighter. It's very, very easy. A lot of people can yeah. do it. And that's that's been a big focus of mine is, right. you know, I'm not a professional racer or anything, but I want to give people those opportunities to get introduced to the sport, get introduced to pushing themselves a little bit further. And and so... To, that's important. To, yeah, I, I think so. Because yeah. because if you have a step that that is that is too high to step on, you know, like yeah. that, a lot of people are going to be like, well, this is this is not for me. But if you take, you know, smaller steps... Yeah. Over. Well, back in the day, it was just like nothing, and then the tour divide. It's like you, oh, yeah. Yeah. you just train in your backyard, and then you go ride twenty five hundred miles. But yeah, now we have that progression there, and those opportunities for people to. It, to and grow honestly, in like East, even East Texas Showdown for us, it was kind of intimidating. When when we saw like three hundred eighty miles, we we're like, whoa. Unknown well, that's my exact point. Is like that's what I want to do. Is I want to attract people who are in a road cycling or whatever. It doesn't matter what, it, whatever your motivation is, but. I want it to be attractive to a vast array of people, you yes. know? So what, that's where I want to get to. Where were y'all at? Uh, like, what were your thoughts going into these Texas showdown? Like you were scared. Definitely. Uh, you had no bikepacking knowledge. Like, where were you at in your bikepacking so, journey? So, uh, so I have, I have two daughters, a four-year-old and, and a nine-year-old. And for me, the way I got into bikepacking is like, how can I, that's kind of selfish. How can I exercise <laughs> and at the same time have fun and introduce Dina and Leia to to cycling, to outdoors, to having fun? And um, I actually built uh, and, and I was like, okay, so how can I how can I ride with them? And the first thing is obviously okay, I got Dina a bike when she was little, and and but eventually when you want to ride with them. Uh, at a certain point, you can't push them like, like we're talking about those steps. You cannot push them 
too hard. Like, let's say, okay, like make your nine-year-old like ride hundred miles. It's just, it's just ridiculous. So, uh, so I was like, okay, what can I do to, to, to make them experience cycling, but at the same time, not push them too hard to the point where they're going to hate it. And, uh, and, and, and I came up with ideas like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to build this bike for, for, for both of them and for me. And, and it's going to be a backpacking bike and we're going to go backpacking and we're going to go, you know, in Oregon and Hawaii and in Italy. And, and it was quite, quite hard to, to build that bike because you want it to be something that's light enough, um, because you have two people. So you have, I have my four-year-old and my 10 year old. So both of them together, about 110 pounds. Plus you have to have all the gear when everything adds up together, it's about 170 pounds extra. So that's a lot of weight. So how do you, how do you build a bike that, but it's also comfortable for you because you cannot, I've seen a lot of bikes now, uh, for, for kids that parents go with their kids where, where they have the kid in the front, maybe in the back, but I can talk a lot about like how to build a perfect, you know, family backpacking bike, if you want me to expand on that. But that's how I started with, with backpacking. I built this bike. And, and we, we went to Oregon. Can we you did describe a the tour. bike that you built? Mm-hmm. Can you describe the bike that you built? Yeah. So I, I looked at many different options as far as how do you put your kid and, and the best option for, I feel like the best option for your kid, if, if it's, if, if your kid is small enough is to put them on the front right before the handlebars on the top tube, okay. because you have your hands wrapped around. So if in case of a crash, you can just, your hands are going to be basically, you know, like the bars around, around the person yeah. and they get to experience, you know, see firsthand, like where you're going. They're not sitting, uh, right behind you. Um, that you can talk to them because, you know, your head is right next to their head. So whenever they're saying something, you know, you can hear it and vice versa. And, uh, but the problem with that with that setup is that a lot of people uh, end up with with the, the current frames that they have, and what ends up happening they, they put a seat and their knees are going to hit the back of of that seat. Uh, so yeah. a lot of people have that issue, and and what I've seen a lot of people they kind of pedal with their knees out. Yeah, and, and in order to go around that 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 problem, I actually ordered a, a frame. frame. Uh-huh. That there was the longest that has the longest reach. It was a frame for for a flat bar, and had a really wide, uh, a long reach. I put the seat as far forward as I could, and then I put a really short stem. So I had to I had to get a different uh, different frame that that's really you know mm-hmm. really long, has a really long top tube to allow my knees to actually track up and down instead of you know in and out. Uh-huh. And uh, I actually rode that bike with with Dean. I did I did. Uh, um, Tour de Sugel. I heard about that when she was four. <laughs> yeah. When she, yeah, she's still four. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was last year. Just yeah. Last year. Yeah, and uh, I did. It was uh, 112 miles. Yeah, 12,000 feet of elevation. I did it with her. Uh, the other, the other key is having the right gearing. You have to have right gearing. A lot of people will start uh, either backpacking or 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 riding the bike with the wrong gearing, and that's that's a big no no. You have to have gear that you can spin going up a hill. Yeah. You don't want to grind up a hill because that will just destroy your knees. It's, it, it's especially important for long distance events. So have you heard of my Texas kid packing jamboree? I did, but we're actually going to be out of town. Uh, it's, it, we're moving it to the second weekend in October. It's October right. 8th and 9th now. We'll we, had, we had some things come up personal that I'm not going to get into, but 
we, we just couldn't make it happen uh, in June. So I think it won't be as hot, but um, I'm big into getting kids and families on bikes. I mean, yeah. I, I want to create a whole nonprofit around doing exactly that and creating those opportunities that you're talking about. So yeah, we could talk about that forever. But what I'm thinking on that is you should go, maybe we can get you involved and you because one of the things that we're going to do is a, a bike uh, kid packing 101 yeah. class. I'm going to teach a section. I have a, I have a tandem. So I have a 12 and a five-year-old daughters and I have a tandem bike and my, uh, my 12 year old is on the, the stoker. And, mm -hmm. uh, then I have the, the, the trailer bike thing. It's not a trailer. It's the one she rides. I can't yes. the pull behind bike. Trailer bike yeah. yeah. Trailer bike. And, uh, just attach that to the back. I'm getting some custom bags made for it right now. And I mean, it's so much fun and I love having my kids in my control like right. i don't want them all willy-nilly over the cars and right. through, you know like i i, I want to i'm a right. papa bear you know like right. i want to know how fast we're going i want to be in control of the brakes all that stuff it's dangerous like let's say mm -hmm. when we went to italy we went for italy for a month we just brought three panniers my bike with with the trailer bike and christina's bike so it's basically three bikes well two and a half bikes and three uh, three panniers and we just rode around italy for a month and some of the roads over there are really narrow. You know, you get cars coming in. You Switchbacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's insane. But it's it's beautiful. It's 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 you know it's experience of a lifetime. But you have to have some sort of control. You cannot have your, you know, ten year old just going on going on, on their own over there because yeah. you know Amalfi Coast. That was insane. We and took the, it. the other thing is not danger is. Um, you're going to wear your kids out, right? You, you if are. you're trying yeah. to make it easy and fun, like, yeah, I'll carry the 170 pounds. Mm -hmm. Y'all just sit back there and watch nature exactly. and enjoy the views and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So for those reasons, those are pro tips. I think we can pin that one and talk about, I think we should do another one and talk more about yeah. that another time. Cause I'm big and in, big into that. Yeah, for sure. So that, but your entry into bikepacking was through just traveling with your kids exactly. and doing it with them only. So exactly. signing up for the East Texas showdown, how familiar were you with, um, with bikepack racing? Zero. I had no idea what I was signing up for. <laughs> uh, I think I signed and, up first, and I'm like Dennis, and then you're like, "Oh yeah, I'll yeah, sign up." I think I think some of us mentioned that race. I think Jake mentioned that I mean, race. Like, yeah, Hannah, like Alicia and Kyle Gilbert. You know, uh huh. Yeah, like they did it, and they were talking about it. Like for me, it was like they were talking about it and stuff, and. I was like, I'm like, oh, I got to sign up. Yeah, it was a great, <laughs> great motivation to train. We actually designed, I designed our, our Nadal kits. So if you see our kit, it's, it's, it's basically symbolizes a sunset. So you got the bright colors and then it goes dark, darker and darker. And uh, we designed, I designed it in a way that it symbolizes sunset because we knew that on the East Texas showdown, we're going to have to ride through a sunset. Oh, wow. So, so we and knew that we're going to ride or, and sunrise, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like, see it all. <laughs> yeah. So, so I was like, all right, that, that kind of came, you know, inspiration for the kids oh, cool. came from, from that, from that idea that we're going to ride through the sunset. The kids turned out great, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, bright. That's, that's another goal. You want to have something that's really bright. So, you know, for safety, yeah. uh, I don't like like black kids. They look really cool, but for safety reasons, that's that's a big big no no. Plus, we live in Texas and it's hot as fuck. <laughs> that that's another that's another huge issue. Yeah, I mean it, it is. I went right in two days ago in the middle of the day, and I mean it's it's just hot. Yeah. All right, Kuya, what about you? What was what was your bikepacking race yeah, knowledge leading so up to? It's kind of interesting because I received that Dennis is you know trying to make kids do things. I received actually my dad 
like I kind of was just thinking back and I'm like, oh, did I, have I done like bikepacking? Like I actually did bikepacking first time was like, I was third grade and I wasn't attached bike. So it was like a normal bike, <laughs> but uh, it was from our town to Tokyo, which is about 300 miles. Whoa. And it was like, okay, we're going to go get to go to Disneyland, but you have to ride there. <laughs> <laughs> so we carried all like, you know, pads and everything, like, I don't know, like in the panniers and stuff. And it took us like five or seven days. Oh, uh, so Who did I, you do this with your dad, your so family? So my dad, my two older sisters, uh, myself, and actually like bikepacking in Japan is pretty easy in a sense of like a lot of public buildings and stuff are like open. So we did it in during summer break where you can use like, you know, shelter from like school building or you can go to like shrine or temple. Like normally really? people are very nice. Uh, so I remember like getting tea and snack from like shrine, like, you know, monks, like they're like, oh, you must be tired. And then we, they're like, oh, you can like pitch your tent outside our yard or whatever. So it's pretty open, uh, safe. I remember it now, like I'm like, oh yeah, so I've done it. And then like <laughs> I didn't touch backpacking for bikepacking for like, Forever. Okay, hold like, on. I just I have to ask you, like, what? Where did that? Do you have any idea where that idea came from? Uh, like, your dad had so this like, crazy idea, or yeah, because that's pretty wild. Three hundred miles. Yeah, all your kids. <laughs> I mean, we, we were just talking about kid packing. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so he, my dad is how old like, were you back then? Third grade. So third grade. Nine. So eight or nine. Yeah. Oh my god. And yeah. all that, like everybody had to carry their own stuff. So yeah, like, this is next level. Yeah, this is but, next level like, for sure. I remember, uh, so my dad coming from like uh, his track and field uh, training college and he was doing ultra marathon by the time like I remember him. And so he's been always active. Uh, and I don't know where the idea came from. Like, I mean, having like a lot of kids, so five of us and, you know, normally like we wouldn't get like everything we want, right? Because it's like it's just so many kids. Uh, but I think it was just like, our parents are kind of trying to provide experience to kids. So like we wouldn't get newest games or whatever, but they're like, oh, we can go like travel to Europe or travel to India. So like they would do like a lot of big like family trips like those. And also like some kind of like, okay, now we get to go and camp here or bikepacking, I guess, for this case. And we did maybe a couple other ones where we did a little bit shorter, like three day uh, bikepacking when I was fourth grade. Uh, but yeah, I guess that was like first experience I guess I had with bikepacking. But I don't remember that much. I mean, <laughs> it's a long ago. Yeah, but. it's impressive. I mean, it, yeah. And your sisters too, you said they were older yeah, than you? Yeah, my sister, yeah, two years older. and That's, that's amazing. Another four years older. You're, you're a natural talent. Or, I don't know. <laughs> or Got the genes for I it. I was fooled. And your dad, well, your dad is it, talking about like adventurous people, you know, like your dad was an ultra marathon runner. Man, that spirit to just like move and try things hard and not be afraid to take on an ama a, a really a crazy challenge, yeah. you know. Well, it's kind of, I think it, Dennis is now doing that now because like he's running with like, his daughters at night and stuff. And that's how like I was growing up, like after dinner or whatever, we'll go on like like 30 minutes to one hour run all the time. Uh, so I think that base training for like 20 plus years <laughs> <laughs> paid off. <laughs> but yeah, nice. and then okay. like, yeah. So that's, after that, I think I remember backpacking was like maybe 
few years ago, I tried to do that in Japan also. Uh, but I just didn't know and like elevation change in Japan, like temperature could change quite a bit and I got like very cold and then I bailed out and got on the train, <laughs> <laughs> made the shortcut. Uh, but then this East Texas showdown was like another thing of like, we never, like I never rode more than 170 on the road, miles on the road and also a hundred miles on gravel. So. <laughs> it was like unknown territory for us. That's so funny. <laughs> That's beautiful about like Japan and Europe is the trains. And I think it's huge for backpacking because mm -hmm. sometimes you just want to ride this beautiful stretch of road, but you don't want to like go like 200 miles on a flat, you know, between them. And in, in Italy, you can do that. And like the last cabin is for cyclists. They have they have the bike racks over there. So all the cyclists congregate in the last cabin and it's kind of like a social thing. It's like yeah. a hostel for, you know, and, and you're going from one city to, to the next because let's say you want to take a shortcut, you don't want to ride because it's not the most scenic road and you get to experience other people, you get to talk to them, you know. And I think like it would be really cool if we had that in the United States where, oh, you, could, where you can take like, you know, a shortcut between like two stretches of road that, that we have that up north. Do you know about that? There's a train. They actually have bike tours and stuff to go off it. I've looked at it briefly years ago, but it's up in the north of the country and it goes east to west or west to east. And you can get on and off at various points. And there's uh, all truck or I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, a, I've never done it. I just remember reading about it. I was probably on bikepacking.com a while ago, but we don't have much of it. I'd love yeah. to, I'd love to see a lot of it yeah it's, it's definitely Especially for cyclists or any i mean even if you're a hiker or whatever you exactly. just need to get from point a to point b you uh -huh. know? yeah yeah that's definitely and then also the fact that all the cyclists congregate in that cabin you get to talk to people and you get to share ideas that's that's huge where both of y'all answers it sounds like y'all written all over the country especially like you're talking about hawaii and italy and yeah. all these things like where, where's your where's the best place you've ever been on a bike trip well, my first like bike trip, I went with 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 a girlfriend to Maui, and we we did the we did the uh, circumference around Maui, yeah. and we climbed Haleakala, came down on the Skyline Road, which is which is kind of like gravel. It's not gravel; it's like crushed lava rock. It's really sharp, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of the gravel, you get those beautiful layers of. Uh, different climate zones and Maui is just beautiful and we're actually going there again with, with just two of my daughters we're gonna go in, in June um, because it's it's the easiest place I feel like to 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 ride because the distances are not too long there's so many things to do in United States I feel like if you want to get like an easy I wouldn't say it's easy because you you still have to climb you know Haleakala but it's for me like I would say that's the I mean, the total, heaven of bikepacking really? from Maui, yeah, for sure. So tell me total miles and the type of terrain. So are you going like into forests and down to coastlines? Like, Yeah, so you you uh, you get to different climate zones. So as you climb up, you get through, uh, you, you know, uh, pine forests. And really? You get pine through, forests in Maui? Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, and you get to like uh, um, uh, grasslands, just beautiful, like, grasslands the cows on those grasslands you know they they have a they have a ranches on those grasslands and, and the beef is just the best happy you know? cows yeah happy cows on the, th that grass is just picture perfect and and then you get like you know crazy you know volcanic landscapes like like you on the moon 
and you know you, you get the beach obviously you know jungles it's you just get so many different zones in in very you know few miles you know you you can go like 10 miles and it's going to be like completely different landscape so it, uh, there's so many things to see and, and and do and there's stops and there's waterfalls and there's always place to get water that's huge for backpacking you need you need to have water i mean food is one thing but if you're without you get stuck in like west texas without water i mean we did some of those team camps in west texas i mean that's sketchy stuff you know yeah. if you end up without water in west texas that's pretty dangerous you don't want to take your kids on 100 mile west texas uh, <laughs> backpacking is the first is the first try but i feel like maui is definitely like so how many miles is it around the circumference circumference you know uh or kilometers <laughs> yeah miles I, I i don't think in kilometers anymore <laughs> I, there are two loops there's like the norton uh part and and, and the south southeast and northwest and the northwest is smaller loop the southeast is a bigger loop and you go you climb i think it's maybe like 300 400 miles something like that oh, in you're like, selling me i'm gonna in, go in, i'm gonna in, google in, this after the yeah. interview yeah I'm, I'm, I'm into that i've only been to Kauai, um which is has yeah. to be a, kind of similar uh yeah. and and yeah it was an amazing so experience i backpacked all the islands okay. and i did Kauai. And, and the story with Kauai is ideally you want to when you backpack those islands you want to be in a loop because you want to come back to the same spot you don't want to kind of retrace your steps uh, first it adds mileage and if you're if you're in a loop you get to see new things and with Kauai, as you climb towards nepali coast if you go if you go uh, clockwise then um you end up in a cliff <laughs> and we actually uh, we're, we're we're me and me and my friend we're like well how about we'll try and try to go around Kauai. It's basically the road is like a C-shape mm -hmm. and then there's Nepali yeah. coast. And maybe we can find a road we went through, I think it's called Alawi or Alawai uh, um, um, Swampland. And there's a trail and we basically disassemble our bikes, put them on our back and we try to uh. see if we, can, if we can connect the roads. And what ended up happening is we came down to the end of the road and there was just a cliff and it was like maybe a thousand foot drop and we were like, whoa. No, <laughs> there's it's no way the to most connect. Beautiful view. There's no way. There's no way to make it a loop. Uh, so that's the only issue with Kauai. You cannot make it into a loop. Versus Maui, you can make it into a loop. You can actually make two loops. Oahu, too many cars. It's just. It's just not. I mean, it's not great for for cycling. Big Island is great uh, if you're without kids because the distances are a lot larger. Uh, you know, bigger distances, and you have you have to ride much longer between water stops and the distance between different climate zones is also larger and you have a lot of area where you, you it's kind of monotone and and also the vegetation there's only certain part of the island where the vegetation is developed over there the other parts are fairly new because it's the newest island it's still active there's a volcano over there it's also beautiful so i would say if i had to backpack on the hawaiian islands i would say maui is number one Big Islands too, then Kauai, then Oahu. You're a you have a true adventurous spirit, not because of the places you've been, which speaks to that, but because you're the type of person that will look at a road on a map and say that doesn't connect. But I'm willing to dismantle my bike, ride to the end of the road, dismantle my bike, <laughs> and walk off into the fucking forest yeah. just to see. Just to see, yeah. That's adventurous. That is that's true adventure. You know, that's when you don't know what you're getting into and you're just you're just going. 
pretty cool. I mean, nowadays with GPS, cell phones, it's easier than old <laughs> days, right? Better, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's not Columbus out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but we got a few more fancy tools. But people don't do that a lot, you know? It's why routes are so popular. It's why you have a website that teaches yeah. people where group rides are because those those barriers to entry like most people want to just like know what they're getting into they want to know where they're camping they want to know where the resupply points are and 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 taking that next step to just literally walk off into the unknown with a dismantled bike on your back is that's that's what people don't often do they talk about adventure but that's real adventure yeah well now i i can't do that anymore with two kids like that would be that would be that would be stupid I feel like, <laughs> hey, that, that's a good point I, I i had motorcycles i had a motorcycle company whenever i had my first daughter And as soon as she was born, I never even thought about it. I just couldn't ride again. I just like looked yeah. at them and I knew all my friends were dying or losing limbs or whatever. I'm like, yeah. I just can't ride that anymore. But I don't think you have to know because there's so many great resources. Like you said, like the Radivist, there are a bunch of routes over there, backpacking.com. I'm always on that website looking at the map. Like, yeah. where can I, you know, yeah. when's the new route going to get added? And yeah. I love when all those routes over there. Oh, I agree. They're great. And I, I'm, and they're also just a guideline. I think oftentimes, you know, you can modify those routes, and and I do that too. So let's. What were y'all's goals going into the East Texas Showdown with no experience in Kuya? You start this one, and no experience sure. in. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, no experience. You were the most experienced so, person in the room at nine years no, old. But I was like, <laughs> I'll just introduce, and you know, never yeah. know how to do it. Like I mean. A lot of people are like, I was just listening to like who has done it, like backpacking things before. But at the same time, it was just like, I mean, we had one goal, which is like Dennis and I, we're going to finish first place together <laughs> going in. Okay, y'all did? We were like, I think uh, we have our legs, you know, like <laughs> I think that, we that can wasn't... keep up with like whoever the fastest. So that was like, we were like, the plan was like, okay, we'll like keep up the fastest person in this ride. But At the same time, like I had no idea how to prep, like, like how to pack my bike uh, for this specific like event because we weren't sleeping. Uh, but yeah, it was like very unknown territory, and obviously, if we didn't prep as well as we thought we could be. <laughs> well, what did like what did you do to prep? Like, did you research? Uh, so I, I mean, it was. You're just like there's I, the route. I, I, I read go like fast. one comment. I've like, only read once uh, 170 <laughs> miles, so I'll yeah, just go like, fast. People are like, "Oh, just bring extra brake pads." <laughs> That's like <laughs> only one thing. I was like, "Okay, I should do that." <laughs> But other than that, was like it's just like was just so like unknown. Uh, For me, it was kind of it was kind of scary because. Um, it wasn't necessarily going, you know, really fast, but but it's the it's the mileage, and I've ridden the longest I've ridden before was 170 miles, and at that particular mileage, after after riding for so long, you get all kinds of if you, even if you have like a small issue, it can develop and, and inflate into a giant problem. Mm -hmm. You know, knees, uh, you know, hands, all kinds of things like that. So I was kind of worried about that aspect, not necessarily, uh, you know, bonking, but but having some sort of a mechanical physical issue like like a knee pain or 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 you know like you're some riding, sort of some you're sort going of, into unknown so you don't your body yeah. might complain and you don't know when yeah. how and why exactly well, you and I, was also, i was also joking <laughs> that there's going to be some dude 
some old dude that that's gonna it's you know kill us strong. with a bag yeah. of uh, dried. Uh, cranberries and actually that's that, it's a funny story because we had we had a dude in austin they would ride they would surf the weather and let, let me explain what, what that means so there's this uh dude andre he was actually also russian crazy 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 dude i mean the, the, the stories you hear from him are just insane but he would ride um an old beat up like 1980s uh down tube shifters steel frame with uh uh Tubes round the, uh, wrapped around the handlebars instead of bar tape. Just, just <laughs> crazy, crazy dude. But you know, uh, yeah, that's that's how I would describe him. But he would love to to uh, uh, to kick or 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 to uh, uh, yeah to compete with masters on like S works and beat the shit out of them on this. Yeah. There's definitely pride there. I know people like that. Yeah. They want to show he, up on he like will a love, clunker he, and T-shirt. Yeah, and, he showed up on the clunker and beat the shit out of those masters yeah. with Alness works, and and he would love it. But another thing he did, he would he would surf the weather. And for example, in 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 Austin, we had a lot of storms that come from uh, in the northwest, and you get you get you get that front where the line where the wind is, and so he would ride north, and you would get like a tailwind before before the front came. And as the front, as he as he came close to the front, the moment he hit that that wind, he would turn around and serve that tailwind on the way back. And you would you know do like two hundred miles, and, and you have, you have crazy average because you would serve that wind. So yeah. you go tailwind there, tailwind back. So I was like, there's going to be a guy like that on East Texas show, and it's going to kick our ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting because like we, I think like fitness wise, like since we do road race, like we can do like you know six hours. Like without a problem, right? And like endurance-wise, but then like, like our concern is probably was like, okay, what if it passed like twelve hours? How long can we keep up? Or like, yeah, yeah, was, exactly. Yeah. You have no idea. So how did y'all train? Uh, for did you start riding longer miles? Like, did you ride through the night? Did you do any kind of like training to like put your body and test it? We went to a team yeah. camp. That was our training. We went to team I camp a couple but weeks that was before only that. Only like. 120 miles or 100 yeah yeah it was our team camps are are uh basically who can drop who okay. <laughs> you know and we usually we usually find we usually go uh but but it's in in a fun way oh yeah you know yeah. we we'll 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 go hard and then you know we'll try to regroup but it's not a lot of i don't know how other teams do it but for some reason when we have team camps it's always a race and and it's fun because uh like in the race, if you get dropped, that's it. You know, you're out. But on the team camp, if you get dropped, you know, people can can wait for you and then you regroup. And it, it's basically like the Tuesday teardown, but on a much longer scale. Um, so we did the team camp in Lakey and we, we, we climbed all the hills over there as fast as we could. And and we and, and we were saying we did that on the team camp. That's not, that's not going to happen on the East Texas Showdown. It's going to be really... Easy the first twelve hours. That's yeah, not that's what, what, that, that's thought, not that's what happened. That's <laughs> not what happened. Okay, so what happened? <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's kind of like going back on like endurance and like it's kind of like I'm coming from like running background, so like, but I've never done anything probably over. I mean, once I joined my dad doing an ultra like uh, seven days run, but like it's also was like three hundred fifty miles or something like that, and I did part of it and I run probably over like 11 or 12 hours uh in single day but 
like other than that, like I haven't done that kind. And then like going into like East Texas showdown at the start, like I mean, we can talk about the how we started. Yeah, you can <laughs> yeah, go, go for it. it. So, yeah. I mean, when we were like, you know, since everybody's so nice and laid back, we were like eight o'clock start, but they're gonna just chill, easy roll. Right. And then like we were kind of taking our time, like packing stuff. And then like people are like kind of moving away and they're like getting into like start line. Right. And we were still like packing stuff. And I saw like everybody kind of moving. So I start riding over and I didn't even have my route loaded yet. And I think, yeah, Dennis has the same issue. But I saw the tail end of people leaving at eight on the dot. Right. And I chased them hard. But Dennis, on the other hand, was looking for like meal to finish up for the Food, breakfast. Yeah, I was like, I'm, I mean, we said the first 12 hours, I figure like everyone's going to just, it, who is insane to go and yeah, start go smashing hard. at yeah. the beginning of a 380 mile, right? That's, I mean, I didn't think it's possible. I think yeah. people are just going to take it easy. You know, they're going to, they're going to start easy and, uh, you know, I, I might, I'll be able to catch up with them. They're probably going to you know, just, just have like a big group ride, you know, like a, bunch people and just they're all gonna just start easy and we uh the beginning of uh east texas showdown uh there's a restaurant over there so we ordered food but a lot of people ordered food over there in the morning so because you know a lot of people ordered food at the same time it, it took it took quite quite a bit of time to to get to get the meals next year we're gonna have prepared food ready we're just gonna do like different burritos that are just ready and you can just grab them and go we're not gonna do that because yeah, we learned that this year. We learned a lot this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's uh, there's definitely suggestions that we can we can talk about it for sure. Uh, but you know, I was like, okay, I, I need, you know, I ordered food. I'm not gonna throw it away. Let me finish it. So I, I finished the food. You know, I I get out out there and I'm like, oh, you know, it's already like eight o five. Okay, I, I I don't. It didn't even load the route like Kuya said. And I just asked you, and that's another thing we can talk about. Like, how do you, as far as far as the solo thing, how do you? Uh, interact with people outside and um outside outside the um you know your your race you know and um and i, I think i asked someone where, where everyone went and, and it just pointed me that way so i just tried to going that way while i'm trying to load the route <laughs> like where, where where the hell i'm going and I, i'm thinking like oh they're probably like you know like 500 feet or something like you know they're not can't be that far so i'm i'm i'm, I'm uh and i just loaded my uh and I haven't experienced, I haven't experienced like loading um, the saddlebag to the way it was loaded because I had put a bunch of scratch over there. I was worried that I'm going to run out of scratch. So I had like a, you know, like almost a full bag of scratch, like a five pound bag of scratch. It wasn't yeah. full, like, but like maybe like 60%, something like that. Huh? It was a lot of scratch. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need all that scratch, but definitely, definitely thing, definitely uh, a lot of, a lot of things to adjust for next time. But um as I'm riding, like my backpack, like the saddlebag is swinging, like oh man, like this is this is not good. I mean, it's too heavy. So I had to I had to figure out like, do I need to lower it or need to make it higher? So I, it was making it higher. So I had to like, you know, cinch it pretty well, and uh, and get you know get the jacket off because kind of was kind of cold in the morning. But if I'm going to chase people, okay, this it's too warm, so I have to take the jacket off. And as I'm chasing, I'm passing people. I'm like, where's the where's the where's everyone? Because as I'm chasing people, it's all just individual people. There's there's no big group yeah. that, that's just riding. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my god, like where where the hell everyone went? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just asking people like, where's where's uh, where's Kuya? Where's where's you know? 
And they're like, mm, you know, like <laughs> somewhere up there. So I, I keep chasing people for, for uh, um, I think it was, I got to our teammate, Kyle, I think mile 40, 30, yeah. So I basically chased for 40 miles. So you did eventually get the route downloaded. I, I got, well, I got the route loaded on the, I mean, I had to like press, you know, on the computer, load the route to okay. start. Yeah, so I already had it downloaded. But um, if once I got to Kyle, he's like, where's where's Kuya? And at this point, I was probably averaging, you know, close to 20 miles an hour just trying to chase them. Yeah. And uh, I was like, this is this is not sustainable. This is crazy. <laughs> you know, like we can't do this for 380 miles. And once I got to to Kyle, he said Kuya is somewhere up the road. And at this point, probably Kuya is like, yeah, yeah we're not going to do a group ride. He's, <laughs> we, he's just going to smash it as hard as he can. <laughs> Wait, you caught him, and that's what you said? No, no, no. I, ca I, caught, I, caught, I caught up Kyle, to my teammate yeah. Kyle, uh -huh. and I asked where where is Kuya, and he's like, yeah, he's probably up the road somewhere. It was kind of funny though because like. When for from my view, <laughs> I was like I saw the tail end of the pack of like showdown. So I was chasing and as Dennis and I agreed, like, oh yeah, let's just try to keep up with fastest person in this group. So I was like going through everybody, got to the front, and there was like maybe over like 10, 12 people like pushing it. Yeah, like probably like 18, 19, whatever, uh, or maybe close to 20 at that point. And they were going like pretty fast, but I was like, okay, we're not like experienced, like, you know, this like bike packing person, but if they can go that fast, I guess like, we'll just trying to keep up. So I was like yeah. at the front trying like, to like, I guess this is what yeah. people do. And then I was asking, <laughs> I, I asked like one guy like, wait, like, uh, like we're not going to be pushing this hard all the way. Right. And then he was like, oh, I'm just feeling great. I'm like. Okay, <laughs> I was just like trying to be like, you know, go as fast as you do. And I think it was like first 20, 24 miles uh, we pass and then we go on tarmac. I think it's like, I forgot the name of the road, but. I know which one you're talking about. 380 or I don't know. It, there was like some road uh, we go onto first time tarmac and it's just rolling and straight. Like mm -hmm. you can see, like probably, I don't know, two miles straight or something yeah. like that. Uh, so when we got to that point, all of a sudden, like somehow, like everybody kind of like relaxed, <laughs> and then like somehow I was at the front, and they were like, uh, "But if you guys are pushing this hard, I'll just keep my constant pace." That's where I just like start pedaling at like what I felt comfortable, uh, and I was like thinking like, "Okay, then it's gonna you know catch up like eventually." Uh, and at this point, I think we already had only had like maybe three miles or. How, at what point did you pull into the lead for the first time? Do you remember? Like at what mileage? Yeah, I think so. That was like, I think off the gravel, once we got to the road, that's, you know, what we feel comfortable. <laughs> Pretty much the beginning. Like I would 24 say. miles or something. Okay. Yeah, when we okay. get on to the road. Yeah. Did you ever get passed again? No. Wow. We haven't touched on this yet. Yeah, but for people listening, Kuya has the FKT on the East Texas Showdown. Coming in, it was like 23 hours and 46 minutes. 53? Oh, 53. 50, it was that 54? close. Yeah, 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 I think it was 54. It yeah, was yeah. six minutes shy right. of 24 hours. You didn't sleep and you averaged 16.1 miles an hour with like no stoppage time. <laughs> do, yeah. what, do you know your stoppage time? It was 37 minutes total. <laughs> that is mind-blowing. <laughs> 
That's so <laughs> crazy. So what was your like uh, thought process as you were going through it? Did it ever? Uh, well, first, actually, I meant to ask you all this question. Did did either of y'all ever plan on sleeping? I don't think so. No sleeping kit. No. We had. Uh, we carried like those like emergency. Emergency okay. bag. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Silver. Yeah, emergency pack, yeah, but no sleeping bags, nothing like that. Just literally for emergency. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No plans of actually right. sleeping. And then yeah. like, oh, it's extra weight, and they have not like really like, I don't know. I think like getting it going in. I think we were thinking like it's gonna be. Well, we're the night owls, all right? It would be embarrassing if we went sleeping. (laughs) That would. We'd have to take your jerseys away. Uh, What about your own time goal going into it? Did you have any? Like, I actually didn't have any time goal uh, because we were just like, okay, let's try try to keep up with, like, whoever the strongest coming into this race because we also don't know, like, who is fast, as Dan said before. And some, yeah, like somebody might be like super fast. So, but I was like, oh, I'll see how we can like keep it up. I think it's like actually, or I guess we're going to get into like how Dennis broke his seat post. Stuff. Oh yeah, we'll get but, into it. Uh, I think up till that point, I was just kind of like seeing like if he can catch up to me on the race tracker. Uh, but also like that tracker also updates, you know, every 10 minutes or we could be like kind of off sync. What happens is if his pings to the satellite, but there's a tree in the way, then it might skip him and it only updates every five minutes. And right. so you get these weird times right. that are yeah. kind of close, but can be And off. sometimes we are like kind of like super remote. So even like our cell signal is not good enough. So like I was like, it was uploading. I was like, I, I can't see new, like, you know, new time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what's interesting. I was thinking about as you were talking and it's spe- like, you know how fast each of y'all are. And so I'm I'm gathering from like listening to you. You're like, okay, I've pulled to the front. I know where I'm at. Right. I know what Dennis is capable of. Yeah. I can just kind of maintain my pace. Right, right. And you felt pretty confident that he'd be able to pick his yeah, way yeah. through. Yeah. yeah, especially that early on in the race. Yeah. You know, you're in your wheelhouse. Because we're only like 70 mile in or something. That's where like I was like, yeah, he'll catch me probably like by like at least like mile hundred or you know, it's just. So that's when I saw you on course, uh, just taking pictures. And you went, I mean, I got to see the, I saw you at the front of the race and I think it was Dylan and you might've been the third one to pass me at that point. Whenever I saw you were either third or fourth at that point. And that's why you, now I know why you asked where Kuyai is. Yeah. I I mean, I didn't know y'all, I didn't know y'all together. I mean, I didn't know y'all at all. So. And that's, that was another thing like with, with backpacking, I, I guess we can talk about the whole, you know, solo thing. With road racing, if you 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 actually get time checks yeah. from the officials, mm-hmm. so so if somebody would be up the road and, and you, you you're in a chase group, they would tell you like I know a minute up the road, like thirty seconds up the road, like a couple minutes up the road. So they actually would, would uh, ride on road races. You have like an official with a motorcycle, and they would you know sometimes they would yell at you how many minutes up the road, or sometimes they'll have like a chalkboard, yeah, and they do it the same thing in the big uh, road races and like uh, Tour de France and. and but in in bikepacking, I guess it's it's frowned upon to to ask, you know, yeah. where's everyone? You yeah. can you can kind of you can kind of see it on 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 your on yeah. your phone. Yeah, but because that's it's neutral. A def, it's a different it's a different yeah. different the, mentality. The phone, the track leaders, it's neutral. Everybody has it. Right. Yeah. Not everybody's going to pass me on course, and right. I'm going to be able to give them information. Exactly. Yeah. And that was that was kind of like definitely like a shift like once once you realize like the whole uh, um i didn't know any about the whole solo thing i, I didn't know how important it is to, right. for the bike packing community 
And I, I listened to some of the podcasts that, that uh, you put out with the Lyle and, and the whole controversy about, about that. And I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Right. I mean, somebody is just filming her. And, and I didn't know like how, to what length it goes. I mean, I'm, it, I'm glad you brought that up because that was exactly what I wanted to bring up was, it was funny because I thought, I want to talk about the C-Post, but um, I, I, I was like, I wonder if Dennis has been following this drama with what's going on with media crew. And, and if you did, then you understand how seriously right. they take this stuff. And that's yeah. why when we were talking on the phone, I'm like, there is no option here. Yeah. Like I, I didn't, I didn't, I need to I understand can't set that. A press, I cannot set a precedence in this community right. as a race director that's trying to do something that this is. And to speak to something that I, I, I'd like to uh, do better is, and I learned, um, is we had a lot of people from all kinds of uh, backgrounds and walks of life that were coming. And as a radio director, I need to do a better job educating to make sure that everybody can understand the rules and know what's expected and all those kinds of things. That's, that's easy to do, but I, I didn't do as good of a job as I could have. Well, no, it, it was, it was, it was, you know, you had, you had definitely the instructions everywhere. I mean, but it's just, I guess it's just the mind, you know, you have to shift your, your perspective because like in criteriums that we do a lot of criteriums with the road races in the criterium, if you crash or if you break something, you can go to the pit zone, get a new wheel, get a wheel from somebody else. You can get a bike from someone else. You know, that happened in Tour de France. That yeah. Somebody would crash, they would get a bike from a spectator, saw, uh, finish, finish. Chris fin Froome, right? Didn't he finish on someone else's bike? Yeah. Time? I mean, it, 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 you know. There's a lot, there's a lot of history yeah. that there's some, there's some guy yeah, in the Colnago that had like. It was funny when you were talking about cycling being such a community driven support and then like in solo self-supported bikepacking, there is a community and y'all saw the community and we yeah. all got together. But when you're racing, when you're out yes. there, there is not community. There's no community. Yeah. Right, that's right. Yeah. That's why, that's why I feel like the after party is so important. Yeah. Because if so. you didn't have, if you just did the race and you went straight home, I feel like <laughs> half of the people wouldn't come back. Yeah. But but because you get to share, yeah, sure. What you maybe ten percent people come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there is zero. In Do y'all like, know that on most bikepacking races there is no uh, fanfare, there is no party, there is nothing. You just finish to an empty parking lot. I Are think you aware of that? I think that's that's no. a mistake because <laughs> because you go through this experience and if you don't get to share it with, with people and and, and and to see what they went through and and and, and share your experience, you you need to you need to share it with someone. But I don't know, I, like some people might be like, it's, you know, they embrace it. Like it's yeah, their yes, own I'm, I'm sure. experience. But so I feel like, like for, for, <laughs> for you. normal people, <laughs> <laughs> you go through this experience. And as a matter of fact, I, I wanted to share, even before I finished the ride, there was a, a Seth was, well, we can talk about the photographers that you guys had on, on, on course. Oh, Maxwell, was, you mean? Uh, no, Seth. Uh, oh, Seth Dubois, sorry, yes, the yes, videographer. The videographer, yeah. and you had you had another guy that was taking Maxwell photos. Maxwell was taking photos. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and after being by yourself for like up 12 hours, uh, you know, being somebody who lived in co-ops, I, I, you know, I, I need you know, people to talk to, like, yeah. it's, it's hard after 12 hours not to like, you know, not to talk to someone, especially the, the ups and downs that I was going through. It was really, it was really good to, to talk to Seth, uh, you know, capture with it, whatever he captured on camera. Um, so when I was, when I was riding through the night, I was, I was hoping, you know, Seth is going to be there around the corner, maybe standing with the car, but I understand the guy needs to sleep, <laughs> but it was definitely, uh, the night, the nighttime riding was definitely very, um, very lonely for me. 
but the way the way I went around this, I mean, I guess you guys had also some options. You could call people. You had a phone number where you can call and leave messages. The way I went, the way I dealt with it, I would record uh, video messages on my phone and send it to the team chat. And then eventually, I had enough content uh, from those like video recordings that like, I made a little clip about you know yeah. the experience. But um, yeah, definitely, I definitely uh, it, it's it's. It, I mean, I can talk about like the difference between like bikepacking for fun and bikepacking racing. I did not consider it, but there's definitely big, big differences here. Mm -hmm. So whenever, for example, whenever you're going to backpacking with your friends, you know, you want like in Europe or something, you know, you want to have this or Hawaii, you want to have this epic trip. You, you want to, you want to ride the bike, but you, you go to those destinations, you know, you want to enjoy the destinations. You want, you want to, you want to experience, you know, the waterfalls, the, the architecture in Europe or whatever it is, you know, with racing, you want to be on your bike as much as possible. And it's kind of, I didn't understand how important that is initially, but, but that's, that's, that's basically as, as long as you can stay on your bike and pedal, that's, that's how you, you know, you get to win races. So you have to stay as least, the least amount of time as possible in, in gas stations or filling water and all that kind of stuff. And um, I feel like planning for that, having having less downtime, it's it's super crucial for 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 racing. I think oh, yeah. Dennis stopped like over two hours. Yeah, once once he realized. <laughs> so we can, we can we can talk about well that real quick. Thirty seven minutes stoppage time. Why did I mean you you were fast too? That actually you were did everything right. But stoppage time is the thing. Time on the bike. How. That's the one thing that you have to dial in if you want to be successful on these long events. Yeah. When did you, let's talk about the saddle. When, yeah. So what, when did you break your saddle? So the bike. And where were you in relation to Kuya? Did you ever I was you? very close. Okay. So, so at one point when I, when I, when the saddle, when I broke my saddle, I looked on the tracker and it, and it showed me ahead of Kuya. It wasn't true because he probably missed the point, you know, the, the satellite, you know, didn't upload for him, mm -hmm. but I was really, really close. I think it was like mile 70. At this point, we're averaging, I think when 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 the saddle broke, we're, I was doing like 19.6 around there. Um, so, you know, with with the with extra weight on the bike, you know, we're, we're cooking it. Um, and the way, the way I wanted the bike to be, I knew that 380 miles is no joke and I need to be as comfortable as possible. And since then, I actually made some upgrades. I can I can talk about those upgrades, you know, what, what I'm going to do for next time. But um, I, I wanted um, aero bars, not because it's aero. I mean, aero is really important, but also because uh, I know that I'm going to be, if I'm going to be in the drops all the time, trying to be, you know, as efficient as possible, you know, and it's going to destroy my wrists for that for that long. So I needed another position. And, and that, and the, the aero bars definitely saved me from uh from having um all kind of nerve nerve damage because that's that's a huge issue that can happen you know you actually get nerve damage mm -hmm. uh in those events Older because, because you, you you push yourself you know you buy yeah, you, you can common. You people finish sort of i can't use your hand for six weeks you know? yeah i mean your mind can push yourself to to extremes but your body you know there's a limit on uh, and if you're if you have too much pressure, eventually, you know, you, it's going to damage the nerves. Yeah. So I knew that uh, I didn't want to that to happen. So I want to have aero bars. And, and 
and that worked perfectly. I, di I didn't have any any type of palsy or, or any type of nerve damage in my arms, shoulders, nothing. So that that worked out perfectly. But I knew that another thing I wanted to do, I wanted to have a comfortable saddle. So I had the nice cushy saddle, but I wanted to have a seat post that would flex. And so I had that Kenyan seat post with with the split in the middle and, and, and basically like two leaves and they flex uh, back and forward. And that, that kind of um, makes the going over bumps on gravel a little bit easier. The problem is it's probably not designed for extra like 10 pounds of heavy saddlebag on the back yeah. going through washboard. Yeah. So at one point, and, 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 and I'm 195 pounds, six, four guy, you know, yeah, you're a big dude. heavy, heavy, heavy dude. And at some point, I'm, I'm you're riding. not heavy for your frame. You're a you're a big guy, but you're not heavy. <laughs> well, yeah, we can. Uh, so yeah, so I, I'm riding. I'm riding through the washboard, and um, I, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe I took a wrong line or something. But you know, you, you hit a bump. You know, you hit many bumps, and that saddle, uh, that carbon saddle, just snapped, and my saddlebag. I mean, I was lucky that it didn't go through my yeah. butt. You know, like it it, it could have been really bad, but. Uh, it snapped. There were still some carbon fibers that uh, they were attached, but basically my saddlebag was rubbing on the on the rear wheel, so it snapped. You know, maybe like ninety degrees, and it was it was kind of like, you know, I was catching up with Kuya, and uh, and then this happens, and it's like out of like out of body experience. Like, oh my god, I can't believe this just happened. I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I, I literally cannot believe that my seat post is snapped in half. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm standing there and I'm like, that's the end. I, there's no, there's no, there's nothing I can do. I mean, right. this is ridiculous. There's no way I can. And then. Cause and you then were around took, mile 80 or 90 or something. Yeah. That, that, that so happened around you mile, had, mile 70 something. Yeah. So you yeah. had 320 miles left to go. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, like, <laughs> well, this is, and then, and then some guy passed me. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Sorry, I can help you. I'm like, yeah, there's nothing. I don't have a spare seat post. Uh, so I was like, well, I can't just stand here. I have to do something. Uh, so I'm thinking, okay, what if I, because it broke a couple centimeters above uh, where where the where it connects to the frame. So I'm like, well, maybe I can uh, I can push it down, and the fibers are kind of sticking out. But if I can kind of compress the fibers and kind of push it down. Maybe I'll be able to ride on it. And I just kind of push it down past the braking point, which at this point it made the seat maybe seven or six to seven centimeters lower than what it should have been. So I basically lowered my seat by six or seven centimeters. And and I was like, well, I can try riding that. You know, it's gonna be really low, but I can try riding that. So at this point, I was like, well, I lowered it, you know, I, I secured it with the with an Allen key and I started going. And at this point, I was like, okay, this is not very comfortable, but Nothing I can do about it. I opened my shoes because it it's it's really weird riding with a low seat post like that. You just kind of have to kick, kick instead of like pushing down. You're kind of kicking forward. So I so I sat all the way back as far as I could. I opened my shoes so I can so I can uh, heel down as much as I could. So be you know this yeah, way. It lets your the top of your foot come yeah. up a little bit. Yeah, it makes my uh, yeah exactly. So when if I heel down, I can I can kind of kick it forward. And I started riding like that. I was like oh you know. And, you know, it was fairly uncomfortable, but fairly happy. And uh, at this point, I was like, well, this is okay, but there's no way I'm going to finish another 300 miles like that. This is, this is ridiculous. Uh, so, 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 so I call 
one of the numbers you guys gave uh, to leave the you know a voice message or or whatever you're trying to make some some content with that. I was like, well, maybe somebody's gonna answer. I'm gonna give them a call, see what what they can do. So I called and one of your volunteers uh, replied. She said, oh yeah, maybe Patrick might have a might have a seat post. And I was like, great, you know. And then uh, she said, I'll give you a call back. And I and I keep writing and then eventually. I think we connect, and and I think you say or or or, or she said to me that we, um, she's going to meet you on the road. At this point, we're getting close to mile uh, ninety. I think it, it, yeah. uh, we stopped at at uh, I think it was a dollar dollar store, yeah, and you had a bike. You had you had a you know uh, I think it was aluminum Thompson. Like that thing is bump proof seat yeah. post. I was like, <laughs> all right, this thing is great. It's not going to break on me. The only issue was that my seat post was two centimeter setback. Yours was zero. Mm. So definitely different setback, but whatever. Much better than, yeah. than kicking the, the bike two forward. Two centimeters for, forward versus eight down. Yeah, it, it, it was perfect. <laughs> so, I, so I put that thing on and as fast as I could. Um, and, and then I was like, well... Maybe I'll I'll still try to catch Kuya. Maybe 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 because I think possible. at that point I think like I was saying like you're like maybe five miles back or something yeah. and like the when he broke and like trying to ride low and I think like next time I checked it was already like ten miles or something and I was like huh something bad happened to Dennis yeah. and that's when I'm like okay I guess and then at this point <laughs> I'm riding and, 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 and I send this I send this update to the team chat and I was like alright it's great I got new seat post everything is awesome I'm gonna try to chase Kuya and then you know whatever happens happens and uh, then I see uh, that my my uh, my on, on the tracker on the map it's it, 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 it was white and then I was like well, I have no idea what white means and at this point, I realized that that I got disqualified, and I called you, and I was like, "What? Wh- why? Why I got disqualified?" And you tried explaining it to me, but me being in the in the road scene, I didn't understand like the whole no outside help, yeah. right? Now thinking about the whole controversy with, uh, with Lyle and all that, I I, I understand like why it's zero chance that that you can continue because that's that's the culture of the of, of bikepacking but coming from a road racing scene uh you know i was i, I definitely didn't understand that and i was in a pretty bad spot and uh uh i was pretty frustrated and uh, and can and, i can we pause right there for a second because um i would like to apologize to you for how i handled that situation like you know in fairness, it was a rather heated conversation. It wasn't full on scream match, but we were, we were both, uh, a little fired up. And, uh, I just, I was uh, not an excuse, but man, I was fucking stressed out, like running a race, wanting it to go well. I had another guy in the car with me that I just picked off course and people are dropping because people went off too hot and I was overwhelmed and I handled that situation very poorly. And I do apologize because that's not in character for me. Um, and I felt bad about it, but what really impressed me about you is, um, despite that interaction and how it was a little heated you were able to, I don't know at one point, but I'd like to hear your process that you went through because what was, what I really appreciate about you is how you turned that around mentally. And when you showed up at the finish line, you were happy, you were right. hugging, you were, you were, you enjoyed the experience, like all right. those things. And I know before that you were in race mode, you were yeah. in, I am attacking yeah. and you made that transition, which is hard to do. 
Well, I mean, the thing about about riding and, and, and sports in general, you get, you know, you get the endorphins and at some point you're also, you know, you're racing. But at the same time, sports is great for, like like you said, at the beginning, before the race started, you know, whatever, whatever you're going through, that journey, you know, it, it really can clear your mind. And as you're riding the bike, you're starting to realize that, yes, I'm, I'm out of the race, but I didn't crash. It's beautiful course. It, it really was. It was, it was phenomenal. I mean, the course was, was really, really beautiful. And uh, especially the death loop. I mean, that was, <laughs> it, it was, it was, I hated it. It was, it was, it was horrible, <laughs> but it was very, very scenic. Um, I didn't crash. The dogs didn't get me yet. We can talk about dogs. Uh, and, you know, I was still, you know, basically right behind Kuya, you know, second place, even though, you know, I'm disqualified, but I can still do my race. I can still ride. Yeah. Still get it to test matter. yourself. You're it still going to ride further yeah. than you ever have. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. The bike works. Same Everybody thing works. as Lael, right? Like she did that route, you know, maybe there's an asterisk, maybe there's an asterisk with you, but you can't take away the achievement. It doesn't take away anything yeah, from your still, achievement. St- yeah. The legs are still going to do yeah. the mileage. Your you mind know? So, is still got to be in it. And- yeah. So, but at that point I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to enjoy it and I'll try to stop for the photographers, you know, talk to them. If there's a you know, set on the course, I'll try to talk to him too, you know, a uh, videographer. So I wasn't trying to chase queer anymore so much as I was trying to, to enjoy and, and, and uh, yeah, and just, just enjoy and, and, and finish the ride. Yeah. How long um, did it take you to, to transition from, you know, being upset at being disqualified to, uh, being able to enjoy what you were there, what you could still do there. I think uh, fifty miles. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a good. That's a good Thirty yeah. miles. Well, I think um, I met Seth right after we we, we finished uh, on the phone call. So at that point, I had I kind of I kind of could could vent to him a little bit. <laughs> I heard about that. Uh, but, 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 uh, Danish, he's like, he's like, you want some content? I got some content for you. <laughs> I think that's what I heard you say. <laughs> and uh, after that, uh, maybe another five, I mean, the whole, the whole thing, maybe like 20, 25 minutes. Uh, I'm not exactly sure on the time, but definitely under, under an hour. Yeah. Under an hour, you know, you get, you get to cool down. I cool down pretty quickly. Uh, so yeah. And then I was like, all right, let's, let's ride, let's finish this. You know, it was, and, uh, and at this point I, I actually felt bad about, I mean, I didn't say anything bad to say. I just said like, uh, uh I, I don't even, even remember what I said, but I was like, well, you know, I, something about the seat post, you know, I, it's, it's not like you can carry another seat post, but you know, it's not like you can plan for this or something like that. And, uh, like, but it doesn't matter, you know, like, because like you said, there are guys on course with, with broken pedal, like you can't bring another pedal, you know, like it's, there's all kinds of broken things that, that happen. It's one of the considerations in bikepack racing is, or bikepacking anything, anytime you're going to go long distances is the durability of your gear. You know, that has to be one right. of the considerations because unless there's a bike shop just happen to be where, and there's no bike shops on my route. So, right. you know, and um, I open at 2 AM, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it's definitely a, a consideration and, uh, but anyway, that was a, 
I, I, you really impressed the hell out of me to, to do that, not only with like your performance, but I really appreciated how you were able to turn that kind of negative into a positive, you know, and not let that experience waste itself, you know? Right. Well, thank you. <laughs> Only negative is he didn't catch up to me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so what happened on your side? So you were waiting for him. He, yeah, his like, dot just went further. I was further. just like, yeah, pushing like kind of consistent pace. And I knew like he'll catch up to me at some point. But then like I saw like five miles goes like 10 miles and the time difference was getting bigger. And then at that time I was like, okay, something happened to Dennis. Uh, I'll just keep pushing then. And I think... It was like, yeah, past like mile 140 or 170. I think like around that time, I think like, or I think that was like 150 maybe. Like I was like, okay, Dennis is like, no, maybe not going to catch up to me. I just going to have to like keep pushing, follow the route. And I don't know, just focus. <laughs> so what was it like to be at the lead by yourself? I mean, Dennis was lonely in the dark or you, I mean... Yeah you have to play like all these mental games with yourself right. right like to just keep going keep pushing yeah it was like it was kind of interesting in the sense of like like i didn't even know like you can track like i mean i knew like you guys are tracking like real time but we can also see like everybody yeah. else <laughs> on the course and that definitely changed the race more like interesting in the sense of like okay nobody's catch up to me or like you know this is not like catching up to me at this point so but other than that i think like i'm pretty like good at like focusing on like just cycling and just looking around and just keep going and i think i talked before but i think like up i think around like 70 something i stopped for water and then like 140 or 50 and then i stopped another one for like 200 but then like after that i didn't even get water for last 180 miles wow. uh so it's like but definitely like at night was like interesting but like i think like when i my mentally i just dialed in and just focused and kept pushing was like yeah like once Dennis was like okay not gonna catch up to me are you able to like tune out pain a little can you just like focus on the task uh, i mean i mean i didn't really you didn't have any have pain any pain like I mean, definitely, like, after the ride. Well, I'm you're, like, but you're also powering through fatigue, right? Yeah. Mental fatigue, physics, some, I mean. I mean, yeah, definitely, a, like, it's, I mean, tough, like, <laughs> long hours, but at the same time, like, I mean, I think, like, only part it started hurting was, like, I mean, back, my back got sore a little bit, but, uh, I don't know, I guess I don't, I, was, I got lucky that, we're, like. We were talking about it on the way back, because we saw people coming back on Sunday, with blisters and and and, and oh, just yeah. and just yeah the amount of the amount of pain people went through to to finish it was it was insane i mean it was they were definitely pushing themselves you know to the extreme uh, and i feel like me and Koya were like well i don't think we quite got to that extreme level of pain uh definitely not Kuya, cuz you know like he's a you know, he's got the eight-year-old, you know, <laughs> backpacking jeans. Uh, uh, but but um, I I definitely had some some issues with with my knee, uh, not necessarily with my knee, but with the muscle. But it was it was from could have been from the saddle. Yeah, having arrived for a while. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. a new position. Twenty miles on a on a really low saddle, so there's definitely a lot of a lot of factors involved there. 
but um I, mean, I think like, yeah. what I'm learning, I think you're a social person that got lonely at night. You're maybe you're not. I mean, a, yeah, I'm like, I don't have to talk to like other <laughs> people as soon as Dennis is like, Dennis is like for probably like two hours. He's like, oh, I need to talk to someone. I'm mean, like, I, I'm okay with like two days. And then maybe I'm like, okay, I have to talk to people. <laughs> and, and honestly, that's a trait that plays very well into bikepacking people that do this solo mm-hmm. self-supported that yeah. might finish to an empty parking lot and they don't need the party. Right. You know, they, yeah. they're fine to like finish an open parking lot. Maybe they'll post on Instagram. Maybe they won't. Right. They go, home they're like yeah i did that you know but, i mean i i mean i guess not that anti-social <laughs> <laughs> that's the extreme yeah, that's yeah, the extreme, extreme but yeah. like i'm pretty good i guess tuning in like or like just like you know observing like surroundings and just, just like, like for that moment be like yeah i'm gonna do this hard thing for yeah. right now that's all i'm doing i'm right. focused on that right. and everything else so, not really worried about it wasn't it. necessarily also like uh you're riding at night and you're by yourself i mean because you can be at night by yourself it's not the problem it was the it was the cold it was so Dennis made it warm. <laughs> yes, it was. You know, it was. There was a lot of factors that that definitely. And it was me wanting to, you know, kind of like when I saw you guys in the morning when I passed mm-hmm. through that, uh, you know, to finish the death loop. I mean, I, I talked to Seth again, and it was great. You know, like you get to you get to kind of like. Yeah, bit, I guess you know. I felt a little bit lonely before going to Deathloop and I didn't see anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> when did you pass by? Was it in the middle of the night? No, I was like, yeah, I guess it was middle of the night. Yeah, it was dark still. Okay. Because I, when I was doing like half part of like Deathloop, that's when sunrise came and that's when I'm like, okay, I'm awake again. So I'm awake again. <laughs> yeah, the that's uh, we would miss people going on the death loop. I tried to cheer people on, but with the spot tracker, like all of a sudden, you're like, oh fuck, there they go, god damn uh, it! Yeah, and you just miss them, and it, it sucks. I, I was remembering as you were talking, you didn't run arrow bars, all and right. you also remind me, but you did something with your. I think you carried like all of your food or something. Right, right, right. So, so to, that's, that's that, that was trick. one of the big <laughs> tricks. Yeah, yeah we're yeah, gonna tell so, everybody now. Sure. What did you do? Yeah, the trick was just <laughs> next carry year you all gotta the do food. the trick and be faster than Kuya though. <laughs> yeah, so I did like I don't know. I I mean, obviously there were like a gas stations and stuff, and we could stop by, and there was a restaurant people recommending to like stop by on the route. Uh, for me, I just wanted to just like, I don't know, eating like what I know already. So I made like, I followed like, sometimes to make uh, rice cakes uh, for bike ride and like EF education first one, like they have like, like video and like their recipes and I did like modify a little bit. So it has like a little bit more caffeine or something like that. Uh, but I made four pound of rice cake. Uh, I ended up just eating two pound for throughout the race. <laughs> Uh, but that's like, did you dump any or did you have the extra two pounds whenever uh, you finished? I brought it back and I'm like, okay, next year I'm going to yeah. just cut in half. <laughs> I did that on my first race. I weighed everything I didn't use and it weighed up to five pounds. I was like, uh, okay, there's five pounds I yeah, didn't need to take. Right. So it was like, I mean, that four pounds contained like two pounds of like cream cheese, uh, which kind of got to me like, I don't know, after a while my stomach is like, okay, too much oil for you. <laughs> uh, so I was carrying also like, uh, I thought like I would pop like gel every hour. So I carried like at the time, like we were thinking like 30 hours, I think at the beginning of the race. So it's like I carried 30 gels, ended up only using like 12 to like 15 or something like that. Um, so I carried all those uh, with me. And so that like I don't have to, I only stopped like one grocery store uh, to like, I think that was a second stop to fill water and like get 
something to drink. Uh, but how many water bottles were you carrying? So I was carrying two water bottles and I had it? camel bag, oh, okay. uh, 1.5 liter. Okay. And, uh, it's like, we did actually like team, like sweat testing for the, one of the health like, L- LVL, yeah. Yeah, LVL before. And like, I already knew, like, I sweat like less than like uh, average people or something oh, like wow. that. So, like, I mean, I'm small uh, to start with. So, I could, like, I didn't need as much water. And I think so that helps me to like not look for food because I had the food with me all the time. Definitely, like, I had to pack it different ways. So, were like, you prioritizing speed or were you prioritizing sticking with food that you were familiar with? What was your reason for carrying all your food? Uh, I guess since I've never done this kind of event before, so I just wanted to, like, like I don't know, eliminate all the uncertainties right. because, like, a lot of people, like, actually had, like, queue of like where all the stops are and where you can get water and like all the like a gas station and such and i'm like oh my gosh i'm not ready or like i didn't prepare for that so i was like (laughs) uh i mean i only like uh packed my bike the day before or like so i was just like unprepared so that like made me like at least food i know i can just survive with this many calories and that's incredible, man. That is so funny, Kuya. Like, re- <laughs> like really funny. I mean, we were scared of not knowing, so that's why I just like. <laughs> yeah, but it turned out to be a great race strategy. Yeah, like, I guess. Yeah, you, you can eat a lot of rice. <laughs> I mean, if you you know, but it, like the the other thing is we're talking is this is one of the advantages of going fast. You're not coming back with blisters on your hands. You can you know pack everything. You're like, okay, I don't need as much stuff. I don't need as much water. I don't need all because I'm I'm going fast. I don't need all that stuff, which is. One of the things I like about the route, I hope it attracts people that want to push themselves through the night and just go fast and not take anything. But it's also accessible for people who like go a little slower. When you're talking about it, you almost seem like it was super easy. No. (laughs) (laughs) No way. (laughs) You're you're making it look very easy. So tell us something hard. Hard was like, I think, I mean, up to mile 200. Like, I think around mile 200, I got, like, last water, not knowing that all the gas station would be closed after 10 p.m. or whatever, very early. And so from there on, like, I couldn't get any water for that 180 miles. So I survived on, like, 1.5 liter plus two bottles. Uh, And, I mean, but every time gas station light, it's there and they also like they never turn off their like open sign and i get close to the gas station and then realizing it's closed you're so excited uh, <laughs> yeah. so that was like psychologically very hard and also uh i think like there was like a dart section from like i don't know maybe 250 mile to like 300 something there's like you go in the forest i don't know it was at night i couldn't really see but uh there was like cops chasing like moto cycle or he was like he was arrested like moto like bike guy and, uh-huh. uh so there was like some interesting event in like pitch dark like uh theatrical way i guess and <laughs> it was kind of funny because i think i was pushing through pretty well uh up to like 200 like and then like you know you kind of feel fatigued because also like i think john is that johnsonville lake or oh, jacksonville, jacksonville. Yeah. yeah yeah so that's where like i saw like sunset and getting dark and and then 
but then I think around like mile 250, I saw like albino fox. Like, what? Yeah. In Were you forest. hallucinating? No, <laughs> not at that point. <laughs> and <laughs> That's like, amazing. That kind of like, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. And then like, it kind of like run next to my bike and then like just went into the forest. I'm like, oh, this is a sign. <laughs> like, that is a sign. I didn't like think of like, you know, trying to do under like 24 hours up till like when I reached like, I think around like later 200 to like 300 miles. That's, that's when I was like, okay, I can push to make it like within 24 hours. Uh, but I think like one point, I think like 300 mile or something, like I was definitely getting tired. And like one time I was on like one side of like double truck. And then like second later, I realized I was on riding on the left side of the double truck. Uh, so I definitely I lost like a few seconds. Uh, I don't know, like, but I was like upright and I guess I survived. So it was like, it was kind of weird. Like it's not hallucination, but it's just like, I guess like. You just blacked out a little for bit. a second. Like yeah. you just. But that was like only one incident. Like I was like, oh my gosh, am I awake? <laughs> you just tuned out for a second. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that was probably. So like, you were chasing off some sleep daunt demons. Like, was it hard to stay awake? And No, I was all right. Uh, and maybe maybe also, just mentally strained and your, your mind just like, like focusing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, maybe. I'm going to take And also break. like <laughs> my light like was like not fixed very well to my handlebar so it was like wobbling on oh, top no. so that like was kind of like giving me like kind of like you know just light it's going like i don't know flickering so yeah. that was i think i some... think if you can bring your own food that is probably the way to do it because none of the gas station food that you can get and that's a question mark when can you get that gas yeah, station yeah. food and it's gonna it's gonna <laughs> compare to a well-prepared rice cakes that are, you know, have the right amount of fat, the right amount of carbs, you know, no protein uh, to go the long distance. So definitely if you're going to do it under, you know, certain number of hours, I'm not sure how long can the rice cakes last, mm -hmm. but, and, and also maybe it depends on elevation because this race was fairly flat. So having extra mass on the bike is not a huge issue. I mean, if, it, if it's going to be like a doom, yeah. Race, it, it, you know, if you're going to bring a lot of extra weight, can carry the consider the calories that you're going to burn to carry the calories of right, those hills. Right, so there's definitely consideration of how hilly the route is. But for for this route, uh, the ticket is for sure to bring your own stuff. the The thing for me was, uh, I tried to find like a Mexican restaurant. That was my dream. I want to stop and get some like Mexican food, but the problem was that you are trying to time uh, some stop somewhere to the time when you're hungry uh, is pretty hard. Because I passed, for example, one time I passed the subway, but I wasn't hungry back, you know, then. And then like two hours later, I was regretting it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm an idiot. I should have, I should have got that subway sandwich because I couldn't find yeah. anything later. What you do is you grab the subway and then stick it in your frame bag and then write, eat it later when you're hungry. Just yeah. future. yeah. That would be, that would, that, but then you don't know, like, oh, maybe there's another, like, Mexican restaurant. Oh, that's where you got to do your research before you leave. <laughs> that's so, what we did in there. Well, I get, yeah, I get that, but yeah. So, so you did have the map on, right with GPS with all the stops. So I kind of could see the stops. The problem was, and I would say, uh, it, one one thing that to improve is the stops were a little bit off the route, each, each and every one of them. Maybe it was, like, half a mile or a mile or something. And you had to make that choice whether you 
when you got there first, you had to know when when it's gonna close. And second, like you don't you don't you don't know like what kind of stop it is. Is it like a fancy restaurant where you have to wait a long time, or is it a quick thing? So it would have been better to force the route to go through all the stops, even though it's like maybe you'll add like three four miles extra. There's a way I'm sure to modify the course even if you want to keep it like 380. So people are forced to go to the stops, and they would make that choice not to stop there as they see where what, what, what is the place. This way, I feel like it's also going to make it a little bit safer because if somebody trying to, you know, go through the, through the, through the stop and not go there because they don't want to add the extra like one mile or whatever, uh, at, at some points it could be tricky because if you don't, if you didn't stop, you didn't get water and you thought you can, you can kind of risk it. I was, I was kind of like a little bit low on water on the dead loop. Uh, so definitely having the stops there kind of de-risks the situation because a person can, it, it's much easier to make the decision once you, once you ride there, you don't have to add extra miles for water or for food. So Dennis is volunteering next year or the route comes out, Dennis will publish the new route with all the stop extra <laughs> well, miles. I would, say, I would say because it wouldn't add that much, that much more. It was just like the route instead of like, going no no you're saying yeah, yeah it's yeah. just a little a little tiny yeah. tiny thing the route's going to be different next year it's our it's already changed it's closer to 400 miles next year oh yeah so uh kuya you are going to be the only person that has that uh, <laughs> uh fkt forever <laughs> i i took feedback you know from people i found some ways especially up uh getting into jacksonville a much much safer scenic you know, way to get in instead of getting on that major highway and mm -hmm. getting into that major town. But that part has like pretty good shoulder. It did, right? yeah. but okay. people don't like it. Right. You know, okay. if you're like in the if you're like in the woods yeah. and you're like peaceful, and then you get spit out into like high traffic. And I get, I don't like it. If I get, I'm always trying to make it better, and uh, I don't mind it being a little bit longer. The death loop will be better next year too. It's gonna be different, less pavement, more gravel. I mean, the pavement is fine. The problem Not is... Not for, for the, you. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the problem is that I heard people, you know, they're, if you're hallucinating or, or you're yes. on the mm -hmm. edge yes. and there's cars buzzing you by, I mean, that can be quite dangerous. Yeah, very dangerous. Um, I mean, Mike Hall lost his life uh, in that exact same manner, you know, racing. I mean, he... I don't know. There's a whole book about it, about what actually right. happened with the crash. But, you know, he was pushing the limits of sleep deprivation and there was a car and it was early morning and accidents can happen. And safety is a huge, that's, that's number one. Another uh, safety another, first. Another thing I would mention is, uh, the bike setup for, for next year. Uh, I already made some upgrades, definitely new seat post and the seat post that I got, you still, I feel like Going that long, and I and I researched some guys. Like for example, uh, the guy that won Rule of Three had the front suspension. The guy that won Unbound Excel had front and back suspension uh, with this new Redshift stuff. Yes, the Redshift stem. So I got I got both of those. I got the Redshift uh, seat post and stem, and and like doing hundred miles on that. Like I know for a fact that it definitely helps. Uh, it would definitely help with the long distance stuff. Like I would feel like in five years on on the on the on those bikepacking races, if you don't have some sort of suspension on your bike, you're gonna be at this disadvantage. All, could, all those micro vibrations just wear it, you it just, down over just, time. It just adds up. Yeah. yeah. 
Talk to us about your um, personal progression past 170. Both of y'all had ridden 170 miles, the longest you ever done. So how did you and your body and your mind handle pushing through the night and on to 380 miles? So the sleeping part for me, it wasn't that much of an issue. I'm, I'm some, you know, like when I, when I started the company, I used to work like, like crazy, yeah. like go through, burn through nights. And so that was, that wasn't a, a big deal for me. I could, I could keep going without sleeping. The, uh, the issue for me was, um, my shoes. I brought carbon shoes with carbon soles, really like uh, hard carbon soles. And that's a big, uh, problem when you're going that long, that it's just too stiff. So another another thing that that I'm gonna adjust is having a much softer shoe. I, it just depends on the person, I'm sure. But like I got some upgrades. I actually had some gel inserts. I got a different shoe that it's plastic, and uh, I'm gonna test it out. I'm not sure if it, that's the solution. Maybe maybe another carbon shoe with some with some gel inserts in there. Um, I actually bought like a sheet of gel, and I'm gonna try it out and see and see and see like. Because anything, anything that's going to increase comfort and reduce, reduce that fatigue, reduce that vibration, especially on gravel, is going to pay huge dividends. Comfort comes first, I think. Yes, yeah. and then so having aero bars, having suspension, uh, obviously, you know, you don't want to have like a full. Well, Lael, for example, won the Unbound Excel on a, on a, on a full front suspension on, on her mountain bike, right? So I, I feel like suspension, anything that reduces that vibration. Um, is, That's is what you're feeling after 200 miles. Yeah, I was I was actually fine, uh, except except the the bottom of my feet, and I still I I definitely had some uh, some nerve damage in in the in the right foot oh, yeah. from from just having like really stiff carbon soles and riding in them for 380 miles. Uh, but uh, yeah, like like you said, it goes away, but it's nothing that you want to repeat every every month, you know. So what was the hardest part of riding 380 miles? Just the feet. <clears throat> well, uh, <laughs> you look destroyed well, overall. <laughs> <laughs> you look pretty happy. <laughs> well, the, the new position definitely wasn't helping because it was a different. I was sitting more forward, uh, using different muscles. My my seat was slightly lower because you. It's hard to know with the new seat post where your seat height has to be because after you ride twenty miles with such a low seat post, you kind of get used to it. So then you like you don't really feel when it's too low anymore. Yeah. So th there was some of that, um, you know, running low on, on water, uh, on, on the death loop, that was kind of like, a also an issue. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just fatigue for sure. Yeah. Did y'all surprise yourselves with what you were able to accomplish? Yeah. I'm surprised that, um, you know, uh, my need, my knees didn't blow up. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was really worried about that part. I mean, you don't, you don't know how far you can go, how no, far your body yeah. can go until you just show up and ride 380 miles. And it's worth you. So you did come in second place with an asterisk. Uh, what was your, what was your time? I think around uh, 27, 20, 20, 28 hours, something okay. like that. Yeah. Big time gap there. <laughs> hey, he started right, having yeah. fun. He started to but, pet the doggies. Yeah. Oh, you wanted to talk about the dogs? Oh, the dogs. I oh. mean, the do I mean, I had the whole system. I, at some point, we know there's so many dogs on course that you got to develop a system. It's kind and, of funny. Like initially, like I think first dog was mile 53 or 56, and then I was like in my head, it was like keep, start repeating. I'm like, I, it's not like 
you know, I'm training for next years. It's going to be a different course and stuff. I was like, mile 67, mile whatever, whatever. Like in my head, I have like memory of like dog chasing on those <laughs> miles. So for me, I had a system for the dogs. Usually my to-go move is get the water bottle. And as the dog comes at you, just spray water. The dogs always run away from that. So that's that's my default move if the dog's coming at you. Now, this water route, is pr- I want precious. to conserve the water. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to spray water at the dogs. Yeah. So my move was, uh, knowing the dogs are sprinters, most of them, they're just sprinters. They have a good, you know, 30 seconds to a minute to chase you. And after that, they're dead. So you don't want to go too fast, past, uh, start sprinting immediately as the dog comes at you. You want to kind of go parallel with the dog and the dog is going to start like, you know, coming closer and closer and closer. And the moment you know that they have to make that beeline at you because they're running out of juice. That's when you sprint. So uh, I definitely had some, because uh, if you sprint too early, the dog still has, you know, extra juice. Right. So, you, you know. You got to time it right. Yeah, you got to time it right. You got to time, you got to time you sprint with the dog in uh, the right moment. The good thing about the dogs is I always felt like they were like mental boost. If you get yeah. bored, if you get lonely, if you're tired, you're like right. falling asleep and a dog starts chasing, you get yeah. a huge adrenaline dump. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, okay, sure. let's go. I think there was it's one part, there were like shots. two dogs just like sitting, like it was like at night and then in the like grass or something on the side. And then they would jump like as soon as you're right next to them. Yes. I think everybody was talking about this dog. Like it's like mile 200 something, but it's like, <laughs> I need to get your notes on where all the yeah. dogs are. <laughs> but do you, like, did you, do you have mean, mental notes me, or do you know? Do you I was know like, in, initially it was like a mental, like, okay, I should remember this mileage, whatever. But then like, it was for me. There were like so many, my, you're like, I give up. Yeah. <laughs> for my process was just keep pedaling, like they'll give up. So like, I don't know. I didn't sprint, but it was like definitely like, I probably like, yeah, went through like peak power of <laughs> dogs. <laughs> so it sounds like y'all are maybe coming back to the East Texas showdown. Yeah, I would love to. You're, Dennis, you're I already mean, talking about how you're preparing. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think like I might want to try to enjoy like three days. <laughs> <laughs> Will you? Uh, yeah. Maybe? Why not? Do it the other way? Well, you said you're like, it's different course. So, you know, <laughs> you never know. Maybe go for uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You got to reestablish uh, your dominance. What, uh, what were your uh, thoughts when you finished, both of you? You were really, I think I remember both yeah. of y'all being like really happy. I was like, you like had a really good It experience. was kind of interesting because like at night, I mean, definitely it's like, you know, go like ups and downs. And then like when I went through into like death loop, uh, it was also like still dark. And then like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to go up this hill. And then there was like a gravel segment and then like going up hill again. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, you know, start feeling more and more like pain in my legs. <laughs> uh, but I think like as soon as like sun came up, like it just like totally changed. I was like wide awake and I was like, start to feeling happier and it rained a little bit like but it held up uh without like downpour it was just like drizzle a little bit and i definitely so like i think it. yeah morning, that was like definitely rained very nice like uh kind of like refreshing at the same time kiss you awake and so yeah it was like i think like also like finish was downhill and for me like uh, like last two or two and or maybe more like three hours I was trying to hit under 24 hours. And 
every time hell comes up, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is gonna <laughs> you know, <laughs> few more minutes or whatever. And I was just like counting down. So it was like whenever I hit like the last stretch of downhill and I knew like I could make under 24 hours, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I think I did it. But it was like yeah. mental struggle to like, you know, keep up and then trying to keep the speed. It's good to have those like mental goals though to keep yourself like accountable. If you're trying to go fast, you're like, okay, I have a goal. Let's let's push to achieve it. Didn't you say when you finished, it was like one of the best things you've ever done, or what is it the hardest? Thing I mean, it was well, like done? a longest activity I've continuously <laughs> done for twenty four hours because yeah. I don't think I can think of any like even sleeping probably like longest <laughs> I've slept was maybe like twenty hours. Right? It's like. Yeah. I, it's like I can't imagine any activities I've kept doing for 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a crazy if you think about it like that. One mm-hmm. out, like one activity, yeah. except for 37 minutes, you were riding your bike for 24 hours, which is insane. What about you, Dennis? Yeah, I mean, it was it was great to finish it. Uh, I saw Kuya probably the finish line somewhere over there. I had on the chat, you know, the guys kind of like supporting and saying, you know, you know, you got it. Um, but for me, actually, right, I think like uh, 10 miles before the finish, I kind of ended up on the road, uh, kind of splashed uh, on, on my back. And it was, it was like it you was, fell. Yeah, I crashed. Oh. It was, it was, oh. it was, it was kind of stupid. Uh, so what happened was I have three water bottles on the bike. Each one of them is one liter. And uh, so I had three liters on the bike. And, and the bottom one is under the, the bottom tube. So, you know, right uh, under the, the bottom tube where, where, the, where the crank is. And I have a pretty large frame, 61, so I can I can definitely put a big bottle over there. Uh, so I think most people will have a hard time putting a, a one liter bottle on their down tube just because, you know, the frame size. But for me, it works. The problem is when you take it out, the cages on for gravel, they have to be pretty pretty grippy because otherwise those bottles are going to be all over the place. You know, you, you will lose them in the first five miles. So the bottom cage is especially grippy because it's inverted. So it has to hold the bottle really, really, really tight. Otherwise, the bottle is going to fly out from the down tube, especially one liter bottle, which is really long. So when I was taking it out, I was I was probably already tired. And when I took it out, I, I kind of yanked it and it got stuck in between the down tube and the front tire. Oh, God. <laughs> so like, so you want OTV? So, so I flipped. <laughs> And I was like, oh, God, I'm just laying there. Like, oh. <laughs> oh, great. And, you know, got up. I was like, oh, I'm fine. You lay there for a moment like, oh, this oh, feels nice. <laughs> oh, this is great, yeah. <laughs> I'll just stay here for just a moment. <laughs> and there's a car passing. And I'm like, oh, I'm just kidding. You're there for a little bit, you know. Like, I was like, all right, I got up. And I was like, all right, I'm fine. And I just kept going. But definitely uh, in a learning moment, be careful when you take that, that down to your bottle. It can get stuck under the tire. And especially because the tire is rotating forward. It's a really easy way to get it stuck yeah. there, and then it's basically like hitting the brakes on the front wheel. You're gonna fly forward. Yeah. So you look at uh, your hand and it get caught in there too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're that, if that, you're that if you get happen. your hand and feed it into that tire exactly. whenever it's going at high rate of speed, exactly. Yeah, but you know, most of the new gravel bikes they have uh, they have two bolts over there for yeah. that for the yeah. down tube bottle, and it works great. But you have to be careful when you take it out. So uh, what is next for you guys? Are y'all going to continue on your bikepacking racing uh, or are you just like, fuck that, let's just stick with road? <laughs> I have a couple of like road racing. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, I know you're not giving up on road. That's obvious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that's, and, uh, that's obvious, but I'm curious. I mean, gravel. Uh, huh? We do some racing, gravel, and bikepacking, I guess. I don't have anything yeah, planned at the moment. Yeah, we just finished with the rule yeah. of three. We did that. Um, I did actually, I, I did the same uh, the same uh, weight as I did on, 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 the, on the East Texas Showdown. There was a 30-pound bike category. So I'm like, well, I'm just, I'm just going to add a bunch of weight to my bike and just going to do it. There you go. And, you know, finished second on that. Uh, on the 100 mile? On the 100 mile, 30 yeah. 30-pound category, cool. Yeah, probably went harder, harder, harder <laughs> course for hours. But <laughs> one thing I would do for sure if, is change the tires because I had, I had the slick centers. And on rule of three, you definitely, if if it rains, you don't want to have a slick center tire. You want to have knobs because it's just, you're going to be sliding all over the place, especially with the extra weight. So I, I was definitely sliding all over the place. Um, and then we're going to go to Tulsa. That's that's a big, you know, really thing. For the crit? Oh, Tulsa yeah. Tough? Tulsa Tough, yeah. yeah. I went last that. year. It's fucking awesome. Oh, it's great. I am not going to race. Y'all are crazy. That's stupid. Don't do it. Uh, yeah. It's a great, it's, it's a party. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. But I love the party. Yeah, it's just scary, man. I mean, y'all are going fast, going down those hills, and right. there's crashes. Y'all know oh, about yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So after that, I'm going uh, with my uh, kids. We're going to do a backpacking in Hawaii, in Maui. And uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe another backpacking I mean, trip like, after that. Next like, year, East Texas Showdown. Yeah. What, are, what are you? Like, what are your goals for? Ne- real quick, Kuya. Sorry. What are your goals for next year? Are you like looking to uh, redeem? Have any kind of redemption or? Well, I mean, I'll just I'll just do my best. You know, we'll yeah. see, we'll see, we'll see keep, where it keep up with me, right? That's right. <laughs> well, it, people out there should be scared because y'all are fast. Y'all are like roadies coming in and just be like, oh, yeah, let's see what. It was kind of fun though, right? It's like coming from a completely different discipline. It's what I love about bike pack racing. Anyone can show up, anyone can do it, and you know, let the best person win. Yeah, I think like yeah, I also saw the Doom uh, just happened a couple of weeks yeah. ago, right? Yeah, I was uh, out there. That one, it's like I like climb. Uh, so that was like for next year, possibly, you know, uh, <laughs> only 10 people finished. So it's like, <laughs> I'm like, it must be very hard. You uh, would love it, man. It's so good. If you liked like the scenery of East Texas showdown with a lot of trees, a lot of pine trees and stuff, they don't have pine trees there, but it's just heavily wooded. There's water everywhere. So you never have to worry about water, worrying out of water. Where's that? In the Arkansas? Uh, yeah, it's Oark. It's, I mean, Oark has like 40 people in it. It's a small town. It's right. the oldest general store in the state of Arkansas is opened in like 1890. But so it's in the middle of nowhere. But um, I mean, definitely pretty like, extreme. It's known to be very hard i think the first i don't know six or seven people that tried it didn't finish it it took quite a few before we actually had a finisher and then this year we had 25 people i say we it's andrew's race i was just there um but 25 people signed up only 10 people finished it kyle gilbert on y'all's team being one of them so did they change the course also like uh, i don't i don't think he's gonna have a major change oh, to the course um is my understanding like anybody you might tweak little things to make it better and and then like out there, some of the roads, a road might get washed out or they're doing, constri- you know, there's all that kind of stuff that, that happens. It's a pain in the ass whenever you're doing a race. But is it like a rule of three with a bunch of single track or is it most gravel? Gravel. 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 Right. All gravel. Yeah. So there's, like, no, there's uh, no single track. No single track. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe I'll well, do it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, listen. You've you've done Doss Hugel with your four year old. You know, they, like if you can climb they, this this course, I think it's like 120 feet of climbing per. I can't remember exactly what the breakdown does, but I mean, it's it's a it's a lot of climbing. You're either going up or you're going down. 
it's almost it's a lot of gravel, very little pavement, and it's. Uh, you think my resupply points are bad? His are worse. <laughs> I mean, it just in terms of availability and how important it is to time. Actually, the last podcast we had with Jacob Laos, um, I ran into him on Chorus's media crew, and he was trying to get to this gas station, which was his next gas station for like 40 miles or whatever. He was out of food. He needed it, and he missed it, you know? And that that's the reality. The crazy thing was that he went on, he just went up the hill, and he was just going to like camp there and maybe wait for them to open or something and the owner just happened to come back late at night because they forgot something mm -hmm. and he was Got able lucky. to get some stuff <laughs> and keep going he wound up getting second place but yeah just trail magic but out there it's it's really rural and you gotta definitely go in with plan a little bit better than you did for mine because that is way more remote the cell service is close to non-existent resupply points are very important and far and few far, far and few between um so anyway just so i would think the biggest issue that that can happen i mean obviously things can break but i think the biggest issue on that course would be like flats and having like a big flat on your tire or something that cuts your tire up and then you know you won't be able to seal it or something happens like that they would yeah I feel like a lot of people had a lot of flats on rule of three and if it's the same kind of yeah, very sharp rocks in Arkansas. Very sharp rocks, yeah. Then yeah. The biggest thing that was taking people out of Doom was the same thing that was taking people out of East Texas Showdown. People went out too hard. It got uh, too hot. You know, start okay. cramping. You have stomach issues. and right. We those, learned hard way, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be comfortable. Yeah. I always say that. Comfort, if you're trying to, if you're prioritizing time on the bike, then you have to prioritize comfort, you know, so you can, you can stay on the bike. You want to be happy. You want to be in a good head place. You don't want to worry about all your ailments that are going. Yeah. Comfortable is fast. Yeah. Especially with those long distances. I mean, comfort is, is you're going to go faster if you're comfortable. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, oh, give me can one. I like, oh, what? One comment. Yeah. Like going I'll, back to like, if you, are you going to go back to bikepacking again things? Yeah, I think please. Like, it's interesting. Like, uh, I would go back for the community because like we come from like a road racing people community a lot of times and like how we spend time like pre and post parties and like how everybody was talking about, you know, it's like everybody took the same course, but it's like, you know, their background is different and like what they experience is like so different. So those like, very interesting point of like we pretty much did the same you know it's a path is the same but like experience is like vastly different so that was like very like i don't know nice and community itself like they're like trying to help each other you know like oh next time i'll set up this way or uh you know just kind of provide support for anybody who is in this like yeah. community so i thought that was a great like that's yeah, why you I finished think, like, you kicked all their ass and they were still giving you <laughs> tips on how to go faster yeah yeah so no, that's yeah definitely like the yeah the very positiveness i felt like coming out of this and the reason like i would go back and do like packing racing possibly again yeah yeah i after appreciate that was fun. After that's what well i was actually going to ask what y'all's feedback was so that was actually really really good feedback and that's an important component that I, th I think, you know, everybody can run their race any way they want to, and people can race that one or that one, so it doesn't really matter. But for me, I agree. The community is really special. And the only way you get to highlight it is, and that's part of the reason why it's a short race. If it's a long race, people are spread out way further, so you can't slinky back together as easily. But if it's short, 
the way y'all saw how it worked, you finished fast, but you were able to kind of hang around and like wait for, we saw everybody come in, you know, uh, there by the party. And so it works out pretty cool where you can all like get together, you tell your stories, you celebrate your experiences and you learn from each other and all that. So I appreciate that. Yeah. One thing I would add <clears throat> is maybe, um, I mean, the after party was, was great. I would, I would add the more of the personal story. Uh, I would say maybe like people can come up yeah. and they can, you know, get to the mic and they, they can tell their story. Uh, I agree. Know? I've thought about doing, um, you know, hosting a podcast afterwards, you know, like doing a live podcast and maybe bringing up different people and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it works with the, with the podcast as well, as long as you, well, it's, I mean, it's much harder pod- once everyone leaves, then you have to kind of get. No, no. Back. What I mean is it wouldn't really be a podcast. I would release it on my podcast, but what it would be is just be like, you know, maybe I call you up from the right. audience and we chat for a minute about right. the saddle and then Kuya comes up right. for a minute and we great. hear some of those stories that I heard on the finish, that we heard on the finish line. And, all, you know, there's some incredible stories out there. Y'all were for there sure. yeah. for uh, when Brendan Hare came in pro slow, the last place finisher, oh, right. and he was drinking a beer. I mean, yeah. these are these are great stories, you know, and great people. And, and it's fun to hear them, you know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely we get to experience, you know, when everyone's finishing and then it would be great to hear his story, you know, how he, you know, he went through the experience, you know, because you get to see only, you know, the finish and the start. It would be great to get, I would, I would say a lot, you know, like the whole controversy with Lyle about, you know, uh, publicity and, 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 and the video crew and the photo crew, I would say get more of that because that's what's going to attract people to the sport. Because if you don't have anyone, anyone recording those stories, it's it's really hard to to convey like what happened there but once you have those because they're amazing stories and you have to tell them so i think one the only way to do it is through documenting it video photos you know absolutely right what Seth's documentary oh yeah. yeah so seth dubois documentary what month is it right now is it still may yeah. it's still june. may june yeah. yeah and i know uh y'all have a Y'all are going to have at least some kind of spot on there because Dennis interviewed Kuya for probably like close to an hour. No, no. It was 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 20, 20, 20, 20. I don't know. I was doing other stuff. It yeah. felt like y'all were over there for, for a while. But, right. But so you interviewed Kuya for the film after the race. Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, we kind of interviewed each other. I think. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm excited about. It. Did y'all see the teaser for it? Yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. Drone footage. <laughs> yeah, that drone footage turned out really nice. That was cool, man. Like Seth. I mean, just speaking about the community and people are excited about it. Seth contacted me. You know, he was like, "Hey, do you have a media crew yet? Do you have a?" I'm like, "No, please come on. Like, let's tell the story. Let's get more people into yeah. it." And to speak to what you're saying, I mean, I I, I agree, and I think what we learned from Leo on that experience was that you know she's okay prioritizing filming it if y'all want to put an asterisk next to her name and that breaks the right. rules and that's fine it, it, for her it doesn't detract from what she's trying to accomplish which you know she's trying to push herself and in doing so she's trying to inspire through the format of photography and videography and to share those stories because we can, no one can deny that a lot of us are here specifically through seeing other people who can do this kind of stuff. It inspires us to go and know, oh, you can do that. Oh, Kuya can do it in under 24 hours. 
okay, unlock that in my brain. Now I know that it can be done faster, you know? And if we can, you know, through a podcast and hear the story, hear your background, hear that you only read 70 miles and, you know, all these things like that context, those things like, those are the things that I want to hear. Those are the things that tell the story. It's not like, oh, he went fast. Meh. Okay. A lot of people go <laughs> right. fast. Well, maybe not a lot of, but you know, but, but how did you get there, man? Like, what did it take and how hard was it and all that? And yeah, I think, I think that is the way that I've experienced at least is if we can connect people to those, the, the people that are doing, and we can connect them to the experiences because we all understand what it, I mean, if we're doing this kind of stuff, we all have that sense of adventure, the drive, the push, whatever it is internal. So if you see Kuya doing you, you can like, oh, I can connect to that. Maybe I can oh, do so that. So we learn bit. from like each other so much. Like what I, we don't know so much about bike packing. Right. We learn from, <laughs> you know, the community. So yeah, I think we all, we all learned a lot this year. I learned a shit ton, uh, which is great. It was my second year doing it. I'm not even, y'all don't know this, but I'm not even a bike pack racer. I've only done one race in my whole life. So I don't even have, I'm coming into bike pack racing as a director I like it without all these uh, parameters, like all these, this box that I have to fit in. I don't care what anybody else is necessarily doing. I want to adhere to the ethos and the spirit of these types of races. But in terms of that, other than that, it's just like, I want to create the event that I want and make sense to me. And, and so far people like it. And Next a lot year. of people know about East Texas Showdown. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, year, remember yeah. when I told you that uh, after, after we finished the race, I told you this, this, this is going to blow up because because you, I mean, that's a, it's an experience. I mean, you don't get it anywhere else, and um, and it's a new sport, fairly new sport. Oh, for sure. Uh, so first, you know, we had we had road racing, then gravel exploded, maybe 10, 10 years ago, and I feel like that that's the next frontier that's definitely going to. It's blow the up. next progression. I mean, we have Unbound XL coming in, right? There's a hundred, there's a two hundred, and there's a three fifty. You know, East Texas Showdown is 380. It's 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 just I'm in that weird place where it's almost a long gravel. Like for y'all, it's a long gravel race. For other people, it's going to be a bikepacking race. Um, next year, we're going to do something interesting too. It, maybe you, Kua, you'll you'll do this one. But I I did a I think I've, it's either 120 or 140. So I'm even doing a smaller one, and it's going to have a mandatory eight hours of stoppage time. So you could finish faster but we're going to add eight hours to it you know but oh. then we're gonna we're gonna but the whole point is that we want people to stop at the middle right. and we'll have like a community bonfire and we'll like drink some beers you know th it's more of like the party vibe than the race well vibe, that's you that, know? that those are the steps we're talking about right. you want to have those steps you want you don't want to have a step that's too high and if you have that that one when you have to mandatory stop that's that's great yeah i think that's the thing is like i want to like i want to make it you said inclusive, like you want your team to be inclusive. You want anybody, I mean, with they got to be fast and they got to make that criteria, but you know, you want, you want to, you want anybody that, that can to experience that. And I'm the same way. Let's make it, I want to make it the, here's step one. You can do the 120 next year's the 280. Then you can do the 400, you know, and, and it's all right there. And all of us can come experience those things. We meet up at the end and we talk about it, you know, and I love it, man. Different bikes, different people, different ways to do it. And it's one thing I love about bikepacking is that freedom to to um, approach these events and these challenges in our own unique way. And we gained it this year, yeah. <laughs> first time. <laughs> Y'all did, man. Really impressive. I heard about uh, people on Instagram from Austin, they were like, 
you got some fast guys coming, just so you know. <laughs> and uh, they weren't wrong. So anybody listening, y'all better watch out because it sounds like they're coming back and they learned some things. <laughs> we tried our best and we want to keep trying. <laughs> That's awesome. Y'all are strong riders, man. It was great to see. And I appreciate y'all coming out to the race and I appreciate the energy that y'all brought. Dennis, I appreciate you flipping that script and 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 kind of turning that positive or negative into a positive. And I appreciate y'all being members of the community, man. I mean, we're all cyclists are great. You know, y'all are mostly roadies, and we can still sit down and and not hate each other. Isn't this great? Isn't this? No, but I mean, That's it's true. Great. Like, I don't want to fucking hate on roadies. You're, you know, you hear that. We're, but and like, we put people in groups, and you say, "Oh, I, I don't fuck all that roadie. Fuck all that elitist yeah. bullshit or whatever." And then you talk to Dennis, and you're like. No, I like to ride my kids with my bikes and I like to do this. Like, like, this is like a really sweet guy, you know? I mean, you know, I mean, but we're all just people. And I think we do each other harm when we start to put each other into categories like that. So it was, it was good to make that blend. And I'm glad that y'all came and, and when we blended those two like categories is cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Good job. Good job. See you next year. See ya. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. It was great to catch up with Kuya and Dennis. I love the energy that they bring. And uh, yeah, just just a good time talking to cyclists. I love it. I do love how bikepacking is attracting people from all disciplines of cycling. And uh, it just goes to show how important it is that we're vocal and we are educating people about the ethos and the spirit of bike pack racing and, and trying to get it right, you know, and as we grow, we'll probably get it wrong from time to time, but these are opportunities for everyone involved to grow. And so, you know, I think we all learned a lot from this one. It was fun. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to having them back whenever we hopped off the episode. I mean, they're pretty hyped on, on the East Texas showdown and uh, they had a lot of ideas and suggestions and which is exciting. You know, it means people are, are excited about it. And, um, and well, I guess that's exciting. <laughs> all right. Well, if you are a race fan, we got some stuff coming up this weekend. We got the Unbound XL coming up. I know that's a big event. I'll be mostly interested in the 350 for obvious reasons. And then the weekend after that, it's going to be the kickoff of the 2022 Tour Divide race. So we got lots of dot watching, lots of racing coming up, which means I bet we'll have some podcasts about one or two of them. I guess we'll have to wait and see. All right, everyone. Well, I don't know how it is in your part of the world, but it is about, no kidding, it's already getting up to 100 degrees here in Texas. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I think I'm going to go ride my damn bike, and I recommend you do the same. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself just a few more miles.